Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the decongestant to my antihistamine, Mr. Robert Lundgren. How you doing? I've been better, Jonathan. I've been better. I've been sick. I've been sick the last two weeks. I've, today's the first night where the sun has gone down and I haven't uh, immediately set into chills and aches, so that that's nice. Are you sure you're not becoming a vampire and or a werewolf? Vampires and werewolves don't sweat too much. Every time I get really sick, my, my body has two modes, not sweating and sweating like I've been working out for like 12 years, and I'm just like, it's it's awful. I'm, have you have you seen uh, American Werewolf in London? Homeboy sweats all over the place. That's true. That's true. Well, I've not been bitten by a wild animal. You gotta so be I'm up on your research, homie. Dude, I know research. all about werewolves. Shut up. We'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> All right. Well, and with us today, we have special guests, which is always fun. Straight from uh, Chicago, we have with us Mr. Brendan Riley, who runs the uh, exquisite and very, how should I put this, um, to the point and definitely more intelligent than our little shindig. Uh, the, the word you're looking for is concise, Jonathan. <laughs> concise, too. <laughs> the Pick Up and Deliver podcast, which if you haven't listened to, I highly, highly suggest. Brendan, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited. Yeah, we were, we were talking before the show uh, how excited I am that you're on your phone because that just kind of makes the circle close. I like it. <laughs> well, if you want, I can I can get up and walk while we're talking. So, 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 so. <laughs> as long as there's the occasional school bus and or horn honking. <laughs> That's right. I'm on episode uh, 51 is my next one. 51 coming up. Oh, okay. So I'm chipping so away. About halfway through. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm getting, you have quite the body of work. Well, you know, because I do it uh, when I'm walking places, and I'm often walking places, it's easy to record another 20-minute episode. And I, I use the editing light philosophy, so uh, if, you know, my shtick is that the honking is in there, I don't have to cut it out. I like it. Well, and you are also a, a published game designer of something on my shelf, Cromlech. Indeed. I published that with my design partner, Rob Huber. Uh, who just texted me that he doesn't have school tomorrow, Lucky Duck. Yeah, and we are continuing to work on a variety of other games for our company. We're hoping to bring something to Kickstarter this year. Well, good Probably times. is a dice rolling game. I, I heard you got it off your, your shelf of opportunity. So that Well, was- yeah, so it, it was kind of weird, right? Because I, I actually had a chance to play the pre-production copy for a, a, mm-hmm. a, before you guys even ran the Kickstarter with the old podcast. And um, this was the first time I'd actually had the chance to sit down and play the production copy, which is always nice. With the snazzy dice. Yeah, the, the dice were actually nice. Big and chunky, too. I like that. It's a fun little game, and it was a good first game for us because it was... You know, we had to do a little bit of work making dice and stuff, but uh, it was relatively small to produce, so it was a good first run. There you go. There you go. And as always, we're going to start out with a big old thank you to our patrons over at Patreon. You guys help us keep the lights on, which we truly, truly appreciate, and help uh, help our servers keep running. So thank you very much. I keep thinking Robert's going to chime in. <laughs> no, I don't, you're, you're not throwing me anything. I, like, what am I supposed to say? Yeah? It's better than silence. 
All right. So should, Robert, should, I, should, I just, should I just throw down like an Eastwood style? Damn. Right. Oh, that's not Eastwood. God. Oh man, I'm I'm in a space. Uh, yeah. Uh, two 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 of us on meds and sick. That's a that, this is a combo right here. As always, we're going to get started with some announcements, and this is Robert's favorite, which means we're going to have to put in a new bumper. The Facebook comments are gone, so yeah, uh, we have that new bumper. I, it, hopefully, it, unless we forget, it'll be in this episode, so huzzah. But yes, no more Facebook comments on our website. I, I am uninstalling that plugin. And good riddance, come to our Facebook group. It's much, much more awesome. Yeah, we talk about each, each episode there anyway. Well, that's the problem, because, uh, you know, if people comment on, on older episodes, sometimes it doesn't pop up for me to see. And it kind of sucks where I like go back to an old episode and I see a comment that was, you know, a month, you know, um, came out a month after the fact. And it's like, I, I have not responded to this. I feel terrible. The group is much more concise. It's a better place. Come join us on the group. And now it is, of course, time for something that Robert actually hyped up and hid in the show notes because he thought it was so appropriate. It is what day, Robert? I didn't say it was appropriate, sir. I said it was awesome. And happy National Shower with a Friend Day. (laughs) (laughs) That's a thing? That is a thing. You know, it's good for water conservation, good for soap conservation, I presume. Yeah, I, I get that. The little fluff is winter is the coldest and loneliest season of the year with dwindling daylight and Valentine's Day at, at its heart. February can often leave people feeling dejected and somber. National Shower with a Friend Day injects a bit of humor into the season while also serving to educate people on the benefits of showering in fresh filtered water and the effects of chlorine. So apparently, oh, yeah, it was it was made by a shower company. They I, I, whatever. Please label all your pictures that you're going to take on social media showering with your friends at hashtag shower with a friend day. Oh, there you go. There you go. And and make sure it's tastefully angled, especially any shots that you send me, Jonathan. <laughs> yeah, but your tastefully angled is is not the same tastefully angled that everybody else is expecting. <laughs> I don't know what you mean by that. <laughs> you know, some of the days that you mentioned would be would be good for the board game hobby. I'm not sure this one is a good a good mix. Not unless you got plastic cards or something. Uh, yeah, I guess you could play Happy Salmon in the shower. No. <laughs> <laughs> that what the kids are calling it these days <laughs> yeah i went to the bad place first before i, I realized oh yeah that's a board game i remember Such that i've actually got the happy salmon sitting right next to me i love that bag it's a little fish yeah it is a little fish <laughs> yeah brendan you made me buy a couple of games uh happy salmon being one of them oh it's such a good game the kids love it the kids absolutely adore it uh i really like teaching that at at big game events in between games i'll go hey you haven't played happy salmon have you no like this is the best five minutes you'll have all day. Oh, man, it's so much fun. It's so silly. I really like to do a couple of rounds and have one of the rounds be silent. So you get you play two or three rounds, and by the third round, everybody's shouting. It's really loud. And you play one where you're silent. You're just doing hand motions. And it's equally frenetic, and you all look like you're crazy. Do you call that the happy, uh, happy chaplain round? Yeah, that's right. The Marcel Marceau version. <laughs> Well, as always, let's go ahead and get the show kicked off, and we are going to talk about what has been off the shelf. Off the shelf, of course, is our segment where we talk about all the fun stuff that we've gotten off of our shelves and onto our tables, and Robert, as always, into your heart. Dude, nothing has been in my heart in the last week. It's all, it's been a weird fog. A strange, strange fog. I Trust me, I feel you right now. I'm gonna... <laughs> I feel like I'm trapped in a Golden Girls rerun. <laughs> 
Oh, God. Oh, God. That whole song is playing in my head right now. You're welcome. Oh, Jesus. It's not stopping. I'm going to have to get the Golden Girls Being board game for you and send it to you. Big G Creative made that. That's okay. I know. I know. That's why I want it. <laughs> you know, speaking of Big G Creative, I totally turned into uh, Target Evangelist. I saw this guy with his couple kids, and they're like, yeah, let's get so-and-so a present for your birthday. And he's looking at, like trouble or something and he's standing right in front of the bob ross games and i said <laughs> you know i haven't played those but i hear that happy little accents game is really fun he's like oh thanks and he picks it up and i didn't hang around to see if he bought it but i was jonathan all jonathan all over the place oh yeah that's that's uh that's become me every time i'm in target now like if anybody even walks near that box I'm like, hey 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 you, you see that right there you need this <laughs> you haven't played it yet I haven't. Uh, we do have a copy at uh, the game group I go to, but I haven't had a chance to try it out yet. Oh, Happy Little Accidents is, is like Happy Salmon. It's a, it's a good group game. Yeah, I'll have to give it a try. And then the other, the other game is a, a ni- nice light. I don't know what type of game that is. It's not coming to me. Jonathan, help me. Like what kind of game card, is that? Kind of Euro-ish, kind of card, card game-ish. It's, a, it's, yeah. it's an interesting little blend. All right. Well, you you all recommend them so regularly. It's on like, the playlist. I mean, in terms of dollars spent to fun had, uh, you're you're going to be hard pressed to find something that that uh, works that equation any better. Nice. Well, then let's talk about what we've had off the shelf. Let's uh, let's dive right in. Let's start with uh, I don't know what are you feeling today, Robert? You feeling TV? Wow, I thought you were going to go with video games. You 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 always go like let's start with something random like video games, which is the thing you always pick. Today you are <laughs> random, Jonathan. I am. It's the Sudafed, man. I am proud. Wow, like this has been our format, and you're actually veering off of it. Uh, that's, I'm just going to blame it on everything on the Sudafed from now on. If I if I, if I wasn't sick, I I I think I was feverish or something. But yeah, no. Wow, wow. All right, all right. Yeah, movie. Let, let's do this. Who wants? Uh, who should go first? Brendan, as the guest, I'm going to sure. hand it to you. Um, we got Hulu. Uh, during the Thanksgiving sale, when it was a dollar a month for a year. So, oh my gosh, that's nuts. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, you have to watch commercials, but you know, when now that's when you look at your phone. So I've been um, catching up on Fargo season three, which Fargo is my favorite anthology show. It's just the depth of the noir stories mixed with the kind of wry humor. If you haven't seen it, it they basically take the idea of the movie Fargo and make it into a TV series where each season is one long game of fiasco. <laughs> And uh, it's a bunch of regular people getting mixed up in crime and then horrible outcomes for everybody. Bre- Brennan, Brennan, you, you said it wrong. If, if it's Fargo, it's, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I grew up in Minnesota. I know how to rock the accent if I Oh, need. Oh, yeah. A whole bunch of my family's from Minnesota. Don't you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was really disappointed. I went to Minnesota last year and I didn't hear a single oh, yeah the whole time I was there. I was really sad. Did you stay in the cities? Uh, yeah, I was in the I was in the yeah. big city, the the Twin Cities. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, so the first season of Fargo is basically it's sort of retelling the story of the movie in a much more elaborate way. But at the core, the the husband and the who's like tired of his wife that part is there. But then the second season is really different, and I just finished the third season, which has this incredible element where. Um, Ewan McGregor plays a pair of twins, so he's two characters, and David Thewlis is in it as this like malevolent, disheveled businessman with horrible teeth. It's incredible. 
I can't recommend it enough. Not for kids, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Fargo, Fargo doesn't strike me as the feel-good family event of the year. So, yeah, I just finished that uh, recently. Uh, actually, at your recommendation, Robert, I went and saw the Spider-Man movie. Oh, uh, nice. Which was with my son, which was very good. He came out saying, boy, all the, and the, the different animations are really great. Yeah, it was really excellent. Uh, everything you said it was. Uh, <laughs> my favorite was the little girl with the robot spider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Penny Penny Parker? Yeah. Yeah. Every time they showed her, she's shoveling candy in her mouth. It was really... I, I couldn't <laughs> stop laughing. Um, the other thing that uh, I have on my list here is that I am really looking forward to... I just saw Netflix drop the new season of Punisher. And that was my favorite thing I watched last year. So, Oh, uh, Punisher last year was so good. Yeah, so the new season just came out. So uh, I'll be diving into that next now that I've finished Fargo. My buddy, he watched Punisher season two lately, and he posted this really kind of amazing spoiler free summary of season two. And if you don't want to hear it, just plug your ears right now. It'll take me like 10 seconds. But uh, his spoiler free summary is, quote, Frank, don't do the murders. You'll be no different than Russo. Frank does the murders. Secondary character. (laughs) Don't let Frank get away with the murders. You'll be no different than Frank. They continue to let Frank get away with the murders. <laughs> Russo, Frank and I are alike because we do similar amounts of murders. More murder. Repeat hourly. <laughs> it sounds like a some kind of haiku or something. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of the Punisher, right? But he murders bad people, so sorry, sorry if that was too too close to reality. Yeah. I, I I haven't seen it, so I don't know how bad that is. But yeah, dude, you yeah, could have totally really just funny. described Daredevil season two and Punisher season one. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know it hasn't lost its way. <laughs> <laughs> I just you made you snort. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Shut up! I'm sick. <laughs> I don't know why. It just struck me as funny. Uh, Robert, what have you been watching? Other than snuck out of your nose. Yeah, I've been watching a lot of that. I finally saw Deadpool 2 because it came in at the library, which was uh, which was very nice. I, I, I really I really liked that movie. It was uh, very entertaining. Laughed very, very, very hard. It's a good sequel, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'll be really interested to see, you know, assuming that the, the Fox Disney thing goes through, which by all accounts, it look it's looking like it's definitely going to happen. I'm really interested to see how they're going to fold him into the, the Marvel universe and what that's going to do, because that is the only character that they've said is, is going to carry over. They're like, yeah, we're totally going to keep making Deadpool movies, but everything else is like kind of up in the air right now. So that's, that's kind of hilarious. That's going to work though. Cause he's only interactive with like two X-Men. Well, and even if he suddenly switches universes, like that's kind of part of the joke anyway. So, you know, like he, he could mention it and nobody would care, you know, cause it's, it's Wade Wilson. Yeah, Exactly. And then in my, my fever delirium, because uh, part of part of me getting sick is I have real hard time sleeping and I just I just stay awake all night. So I try to put on bad movies to make me go asleep and, and it doesn't work. Uh, I found out that Amazon has all of the howling movies except for the first one, which means they have all the garbage ones. And I started watching some of them <laughs> again. And uh, yeah, yeah. Howling five. I remember that one being OK. It's not OK. That was 12 year old me giving it way too much credit. However, the howling two is the most amazing, just beautiful train wreck I think I've ever saw seen in a film. It's, it's incredible. And just, and I started reading about the production of it and it's just, 
it's a gold mine. You keep digging and you keep finding out awesome things about the Howling Two. I, I can't, I cannot recommend enough watching that movie and then just going on a Wikipedia slash IMDb trivia spiral and reading about the pure insanity about about how that film got made. Because you watch that film and you're like, how did this film get made? It's it's nuts. And then you read about it and you're like, oh, oh, well, that explains quite a bit actually. But uh, Christopher Lee's in that movie. Do you know that? No, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Okay, so th- this is one of the things I, I read on my, my side note. Uh, the production company that made The Howling 2, for somehow they got the production uh, into like Iron Curtain Czechoslovakia back in the 80s. And because the government like threw a bunch of like free production staff at them to come spend Hollywood money in their, in their country or whatever. And so they, you know, they're like, oh, cool, we'll, we'll go to Czechoslovakia and, and, you know, film our movie and, you know, and say it's Transylvania because the script obviously is a werewolf script, not a vampire script, even though there's a lot of weird vampire-ish references. But uh, <laughs> we'll move on. So they're landing in the, in, you know, I, I think it's Czechoslovakia, but yeah, they're landing and there's like this like big group there ready to, you know, meet somebody and they're like, Oh, you know, they're all wondering who that's for. And they get off the plane and it was for Christopher Lee. And they like, they all turn and like look at him or something. And he's like, Oh yeah, I'm kind of a war hero here from stuff I did in world war two, but I'm not supposed to talk about it. <laughs> and, and he, he apparently like the, the director who's Australian and him kind of like hit it off. So he, he told him some stuff that, you know, he wasn't supposed to talk about and he shares it in some of the DVD commentaries, but it's like, Oh, Wow. Dude, Christopher Lee was a badass. If if I'm connecting the dots correctly, and this is, I, I'm not sure that I am, but if you remember in the Lord of the Rings, when uh, he slits, uh, when Wormtongue slits his throat and he makes that scream, and then Peter Jackson told him, like, no, make this scream, and he says, Peter, I know how what it sounds like when you slit a man's throat. I did it. I, I think that was in Czechoslovakia. Like I, I oh yeah, my. yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, it's just like, yeah, that, that movie, that movie is just this gold mine of insanity. You watch it and it's, it's a gold mine of insanity. And then you read about all of it and you're like, wow, this, this movie is probably the most entertaining thing. It, it entertained me for like five hours in my sick delirium, just reading about trivia about it. I, it was, it was amazing. Highly recommend. Brendan, have you ever, have you ever uh, read up on Christopher Lee's past? No. Um, yeah, during World War II, he was legit a member of the OSS, uh, which eventually turned into the CIA. You, you mean MI MI six or MI five? Or well, yeah, his, his yeah, the British component of it ter- turned into MI MI six. But he was behind enemy lines. He was pretending to be a German. He, you know, did the secret missions and and basically was the blueprint for James Bond. In fact, I've even read that Ian Fleming might have based it on him. Wow. He was a legitimate super spy uh, before it was cool to be a super spy. And have you ever heard that story from Lord of the Rings? I had not. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. Is that on, where did you hear that? It's on one of the commentaries. Peter Jackson talks about it. Yeah. And, and Christopher Lee was, was being extremely legitimate when he said, yeah, that's not how somebody sounds when you cut their throat. <laughs> and have you ever, ever heard Christopher Lee's heavy metal albums? <laughs> no. I, there's a whole... A whole Christopher Lee-niverse that I didn't know about. <laughs> yes. But no, he had he had a couple of heavy metal albums near the end of his life. He, it, It's basically him narrating in a very Christopher Lee way over, you know, cheesy heavy metal. It's amazing. <laughs> it might be the best thing ever given to mankind. I've got work to do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's like, like I, the Howling 2, my friend. It is a gold mine. And we haven't even gotten into Red Brown or Sybil Danning. Like, oh, it's it's just so good. It's just so good. So, Jonathan, what have you been watching? Oh, nothing. 
Yeah, I didn't put anything in there, but yeah, I uh, watched a couple things. Uh, I am about halfway through Deadwood season three, and that continues to be awesome. Uh, as ever, all as every bit as awesome as I recall, and uh, Gerald McCraney might be one of the best bad guys ever to put uh, down on film. Every time he shows up in a movie as a bad guy, he just gives this icy awesome performance. He was born to play bad dudes, which is funny because I grew up watching him play Simon and Simon, and he was always the happy-go-lucky hero. So it's kind of funny to to see him adopting this different uh, role in his older age. Still haven't watched it, but it's on my list. You had me at Kristen Bell cursing. Like I, I, I just have to see that. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Gerald McCraney, he did, after Simon and Simon, he was Major Dad. So yeah, it's, it's basically Major Dad being a jerk. So it's Major Dad. Okay, got it. Aww. I always get him confused with Dabney Coleman. <laughs> <laughs> I think Dabney Coleman still has hair. They're, they're kind of cut from the same cloth. Yeah, very much so. Although Gerald McCraney has this iciness to his villains that uh, Dabney Coleman's a little more... Uh, can you have a warm villain? Is that a thing? Dabney Coleman is sort of the halfway point between the guy you're talking about and John Lithgow. Ah, yeah. That, it, th- I'll give you that. That's a, a, an excellent assessment. I actually I think that works out real well. And you were worried about not fitting in, Brendan, with your, with your 80s references. <laughs> And then I got to, I got to, uh, a little uh, Old Wested out because I'm still playing Red Dead Redemption. And so I decided to give the Old West a little bit of a rest. And I started watching on Amazon the new Jack Ryan TV show. Oh, yeah. I watched the pilot of that. Uh, which I'm, I'm having a good time with. They've made some interesting choices. Uh, Admiral Greer is a, a, a took up the Muslim faith uh, for his wife. And he's not an admiral in this. So it's kind of interesting because... Uh, the whole thing takes place with uh, Middle Eastern terrorists, so it kind of gives it a, a different bend that I don't think I've seen explored in other shows before, which is which is fun. It, it makes you feel fresh. It, it does not. It doesn't feel like your formulaic, uh, uh, you know, Jack Ryan saves the world from terrorists. Uh, in, instead, the, the terrorists have some very real motivations that, that you can make sense of, and that makes it hard to dislike them fully. I still have problems like just not seeing him as Jim from The Office because I haven't watched like Black Hawk Down or any of those other things. So yeah, I'm gonna give you that. It is weird seeing him in this super serious role because I keep expecting him to turn to the camera and smile and, and like the whole thing's a giant ass joke. Why? Why is my AK-47 covered in Jello? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good a good set of outtakes on the DVD. Like if they <laughs> put a bunch of office jokes into it, <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. Or if they cast Rain Wilson somewhere, if he just pops up as someone, <laughs> he, he does pop up everywhere. It's it's crazy, like the, the the cameos that Rain Wilson does. He was the villain in that big shark movie, Meg. Oh, I haven't watched it yet. I really want to. <laughs> that movie looks so bad. I am yeah, so excited. Bad. You literally have Jason Statham punching a shark. Ah, uh, God bless that man. He's just doing the Lord's work. <laughs> the the thought of that was oddly satisfying, and I don't know why. Oh, it is. It is. <laughs> you know what? I, I was pretty sure I was not going to watch that movie, but Punching a Shark, that, that, is, that, that is some rarefied like, cheese ball. I think, I, I think I may have to give that one a go. Oh, I'm, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm going to red box that action this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then I, uh, speaking of uh, cheesy movies, I watched Venom. I, I've heard it wasn't a dumpster fire. I can't make heads or tails about it. I, I, I can't figure out whether I enjoyed it or whether I was just shocked. <laughs> that's that's kind of what I've heard. I mean, like, Tom Hardy's performance is at the same time strikingly good and completely terrible. Like, I can't figure out which one it is. 
Well, maybe that's the mystique they're going for. I feel like Tom Hardy was drunk the entire time. Drunk on that alien parasite symbiote stuff. Well, and, and that's just the thing. Like the, the, the stuff, his interactions with the parasite are genuinely funny. Like he's constantly talking to it. And of course, nobody else can hear the parasite by him. There's a couple of genuinely funny scenes, but like, I, I don't get the venom from the comics. You know what I mean? Like when, when venom fully takes over and he is venom and, and very little Eddie Brock is showing through, he feels much too, um, he's too friendly. I really like Spider-Man, but I, I kind of tend to skip Venom-centric storylines because it's, I don't know, they, Venom doesn't do much for me either, to be honest with you. Well, and I was surprised that they didn't bring Carnage in. Uh, he's in the post-credits, isn't he? Uh, I, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. Spoiler alert. Sorry. I think part of the problem with a lot of the Marvel movies is they're still trying to hold to the PG-13 rating. You can't have a villain or an anti-hero that truly embraces the darkness if they aren't actually going to give them the opportunity to be really horrible. I mean, I, I feel like that's consistently a problem in Hollywood movies where they try to, where they try to do an anti-hero and they don't do it well. Now I haven't seen Venom, so I can't speak to that particular film, but no, I'd say that's a fair criticism for it. But when they, when they do let it be rated R like Deadpool and, and Logan, like, and they can go some of those dark places, it really works a lot better than like, say the Wolverine. <laughs> Oh, Silver Samurai was so bad. Anyway, anyway, no, no, we're not going to go down the Wolverine spiral. <laughs> I, you know, I like the first three quarters of that movie. I wasn't even talking about that movie. I was talking about the sequel. No, I'm talking about I'm talking about the Wolverine. Oh, OK. Not Logan. OK, no, no, I refuse. I refuse. The, 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 movie, the first the first three quarters of the Wolverine are really good. And then he gets to the Silver Samurai and the whole thing just falls apart. Well, it's it's typical. Hollywood has a real bad habit of not sticking the third act. Whatever the the final bit, like yeah, it's just there's a lot of movies. Where I mean, it's like, it, it was really good. It wasn't yeah, X Men Origins bad, but it wasn't good. <laughs> but what can be X Men Origins bad? <laughs> oh God, sorry, I just I had a shiver. I was thinking about Gambit in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> they don't make enough decongestants in the world to make that pain go away. Anyway, uh, moving right along. <laughs> uh, Brendan, any uh, any books? Any um, any books or reading that you got in? I actually was thinking about it the other day, and I've discovered I'm reading a lot fewer books the last few years because for pleasure reading, I often will grab the rule book for a game I haven't learned yet. So uh, I, I read a lot of rule books. But um, a- Amen. Amen, brother. Yes. For sure. Uh, I've been reading the China Miaville novel, Embassy Town. Miaville is one of my favorite writers. He wrote a book several years ago called Perdido Street Station, that's this sort of fantasy, steampunk, super weird, grotesque piece of writing that's just really enchanting. Uh, and this most recent one is more straight sci-fi, but it takes place in a colony on a faraway planet that seems to serve as an, a kind of planet-wide consulate for the Earth's relationship with this other set of beings. Their technology is all bio biofuse technology so like they give us like chandeliers that are alive and they walk across the ceiling to adjust the light for you yeah it's super weird and all of the ambassadors themselves they have two mouths and they speak out of both at the same time and so for a long time we couldn't communicate with them at all because they couldn't understand us when only one person was talking they couldn't even conceive of it as language 
And then we figured out if we had two people who knew each other very, very well, who tried to talk at the same time, then they could understand us. So there's this weird, his books are always just full of weird ideas and you just kind of fall into them. So I've been very excited uh, to be reading that. It's an embassy town. Really, I'm really enjoying it. That sounds interesting. Enchanting and, and like I said, just different. I mean, so much sci-fi that you read, you can you can kind of see 85% of it where it matches other things. And his books always just, they feel so different. The other one I would recommend that he wrote, he wrote one called The City and the City, which is about this weird multidimensional city where two different dimensions, two the same city and two different dimensions overlap. And there are places where you can be in both cities. And it's about a murder that happened in one of the middle spaces. And so cops on both sides, both dimensions are trying to solve the murder. That's kind of neat. Yeah. They're making a movie of it or a BBC series. Uh, I saw the trailer for it and I kind of crapped my pants in excitement. (laughs) That's how we've all been there. (laughs) I need to finish the, the physical book that I have been slowly slogging through, even though I'm really enjoying it. I just keep forgetting to actually pick it up. Is that, you know, what's that? Well, well, I, I, I've been reading this Dracula book forever because I just keep forgetting to pick it up because I've, you know, I reroll books and stuff. That's kind of like my go-to, and I just forget. So I'm like starting to get this like list at the library of like books I should borrow, and it's it's getting extensive. I just need to like buckle down and do it. But thank you. You just I I just put Embassy Town on on, on that list. Oh, good. <laughs> well, what about you, Robert? What have you been reading? Uh nothing. I've been sick. Good talk. Yeah. Um, I've actually gone old school with my reading. I have uh, picked up uh, one of my Hemingway collection. I am a big fan of Ernest Hemingway, and it's not... It's generally once a year or so that I'll I'll sit down and read a couple of his books in a row because I love his uh, style of writing so much. And so I am currently in the middle of For Whom the Bell Tolls. Yeah, it makes me really want to grow a mustache and and go run with the bulls. (laughs) You just took me back to my teenage years when I hung out with my Metallica fan friend. That's good times. Your Metallica friend who also liked Hemingway? No, just just because there's a For Whom the Bell Tolls, there's a song. I'm on. on. for me is my in-laws have a doormat on their back porch that says, Ask not for whom the dog barks, (laughs) it barks for thee. Oh, that is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of need that in my life. (laughs) Yeah, you do. That, that, That is like a surprising amount of your day. I've been to your house. Yeah, it basically starts off with somebody makes a noise outside, dogs start barking, and I scream at them, shut up! That's what dogs are for. Yeah, I know. The the great and mighty protectors of the home. The one time somebody walks in the door that I don't know, they just sit there and look at them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No barks. No nothing. How many dogs do you have? I have two. I have two. They're both mutts. Well, that's good. They're more likely to be healthy if they're mutts. Yeah, yeah. I've done nothing but pound puppies uh, my entire life. I love them. They're not the well, Apollo's in, Apollo's intelligent, but he's uh, he's not usable intelligent. He's like that genius that walks around knowing things, but then when you present him with a microwave, you can't program it. <laughs> and Ragnar is just a, a lovable idiot. He's just the, about the stupidest animal I've ever ever known, but he's also the sweetest. So he, it, it's, there's a very nice balance there. I mean, you've met him, Robert. Would you call him an intelligent animal? I'd call him a dog. Well, that's just the thing. I've never had a dog that's so dog before. Like every dog I've had before is a kind of personality, like human personality traits. This is the first dog I've had that actually just wants to lick his crotch and roll around outside. Yeah, yeah. No, he's just he's he's a. Very, I, I had a dog who was very dog. He reminds me of my old dog. That was a very dog dog. Yeah, I've never had a dog dog before. I always had people dogs. Oh, well, now you know. 
Welcome to the rest of us, I guess. I don't and know. Knowing is half the battle. There you go. Yo, Joe, Cobra, and such. <laughs> Pork chop sandwiches. So let's move on to video games. Brendan, are you a video game player? You know, I have been off and on my whole life. At various times, I've had a gaming PC. We have an Xbox uh, One right now. But uh, for Christmas, I got an NES Classic. So lately, I've been playing Ooh, the original yeah. Castlevania. Oh, that's nice. hard. Yeah, yeah, all the original ones were Castlevania, Metroid, uh, Contra, if you want to mm-hmm. never be able to feel with your fingertips again. Contra 2 is on the NES Classic, but I was very sad to see that Contra 1 wasn't. I used to be able to beat Contra 1 without the code in the day. Oh, yeah, um, it, it, me too. And, like, you have the whole thing memorized. Mm-hmm. And now I, so, I can't even find my keys. Yeah, it's a real bummer. But, yeah, that uh, that's a fun little toy. Isn't that the most infuriating thing? Like, you can feel yourself, like, the muscle memory going, but it's just not working because you're just not as fast as you used to be. And, and it's just, you yeah. you progressively see how out of sync you are with your childhood self. And you're like, no, it's not me. It's the emulator that's wrong. It's too fast. <laughs> I have a buddy that said that exact sentence to me. <laughs> <laughs> I told him, no, you're just I old. don't remember the... Discovering that I don't remember the invisible blocks in Super Mario Brothers was very disappointing. <laughs> like, you know, I was like, I'm pretty sure there's an invisible block around here to get an extra life, but I can't find it. <laughs> well, the struggle is real, my friend. The struggle is real. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, this uh, this month, uh, one of my plans, I ha- I picked up um, L.A. Noir. <gasps> oh, what fun. Going to give that a try. I mean, uh, like, the game is kind of just okay but the story and the acting are amazing right i'm sort of past my twitch gaming thing so you guys do overwatch and all that you know i did counter-strike in the day but uh, i don't really play those kinds of games anymore then you might like battle chasers not twitch at all but i'm having a blast with it all right well speaking of jonathan you've been playing battle you've been playing battle chasers haven't you i have been playing battle chasers (laughs) and it's been grand so do you, do you have any insights of, because I, I don't want to go off on that game again because we'll be here all night, but uh, do you have any insights about that game that share them? Yeah, it never is not difficult, apparently. Well, it it can be, but that's not the fun. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, if you're if you're progressing the story, you're always on the edge of dying. Like I said, it makes it it makes it a knot you have to untie every time. It's it's kind of hard. <laughs> but I like it. I like it. That That's half the fun is the challenge of it. But sometimes when you get, like, the one-hit kill from somebody, it's, it can be frustrating. Yeah, yeah, I'll agree. It's not without its frustrations. Brennan, it's it's a turn-based RPG, but, like, a lot of your abilities, like, they have, like, a delay. And so, like, mm-hmm. a lot of it is just, like, figuring out, it's like, I need to do something. <laughs> it's like, can I, is there a way I can kill this guy before he attacks, attacks again and possibly attacks somebody who's low on health? And it's like, oh, you got to figure it out and the way the initiative stacks. And it's, it's... But it also, if you get poisoned or uh, uh, set on fire or whatever, uh, it ticks every time your turn comes. And so if you use your turn to use an ability that will pop up later, you get ticked when you choose that and you get ticked again when they activate it. So sometimes it's like, oh, are they going to get healed between there? Because, you know, the, the bleeding and the fire can kill them if they take another hit. And you got, yeah, it's just there's a lot to juggle. It's, it's surprisingly complex. And I, I really enjoyed nice. it. And, and not a Twitch game. Heck, the map's on rails. You don't even have to explore much of anything. You're just like, oh, there's a path. I just sort of go up it. What are you using to play that? Uh, it's on everything. It's Xbox One, PS4, Switch, and PC. Oh, okay. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, and it's cheap, too. It's cheap. It, uh, that makes it hurt a lot less. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, speaking of uh, old games, old old Ebus but goodies, I, I started up Dragon Quest Builders randomly in my fever haze. Again? Yeah, I don't know why. It just it seemed like the thing to do when I was just like in fever delirium. I just played the hell out of that while I was like just moaning on the couch. I, I don't know. It made it made the hurting less. I, I, I don't know how else to describe it. I, but I don't know. I was playing it again. And I was I was like, I'm getting kind of I, I, I want that next game to come out, Jonathan. I want it. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> ah, especially if you have a switch, man, like that. That's like the best game for a switch. It'd, it'd be really fun to play handheld. Versus like having to watch it on your TV. Like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of jelly. You have a Switch, so I'd highly recommend that game. It's it's a very good fusion of uh, JRPG stuff and uh, and Minecraft. And if you're remotely interested in either game, it, it sort of scratches the itch of both because you know it's not exactly Minecraft, but it's also not exactly a JRPG. It's just it's it's a nice meal. It gives you it gives you something different to do on, on both fronts. So I'm finding our purchase of the Switch to actually be reasonably satisfying which i did not expect i didn't think i was going to spend any time with it at all is the theme of the dragon quest games relatively kid friendly yes uh dragon quest builders of all of them is um the i mean you've talked about the other ones having sort of you know kids and their parents getting killed and I mean, it sounds like there's, it's more drama in the other ones, but yeah, yeah, five, five definitely had that. Um, yeah, the RPGs they they do that JRPG thing where it's it's kind of light and fluffy and stupid, and then all of a sudden, like just the darkness comes out of nowhere, and you're like, oh my god, like what just happened? Mm-hmm. And 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 it just comes out of left field, and it's just they sucker punch you with something awful, and you're like, but I was playing this nice friendly game. What was that? And yeah, they they all do that. <laughs> and I, I I will say this too, like going back to. Uh, previous stuff about like 80s things like the the same crew that invented those games back in the 80s is the same crew working on them right now so they're just a bunch of old men who are kind of set in their ways and the the games definitely have problems uh, associated with that in just about every game it's like getting better (laughs) but it's still not great and so yeah there's just a few things that pop up from time to time that uh you're like oh oh damn like why would why would why did you make that choice and it's just like yeah it's just cultural and old men and yeah <laughs> yeah and then and then do yourself a favor if you're considering playing those games or if you want a good excuse to never ever play those games do not ever or whatever the the composer like just don't go read his wikipedia bio because yeah that dude that dude is uh, yeah so short answer not kid friendly not kid friendly dragon <laughs> quest builders on the other hand is kid friendly cuz uh yeah none of the problematic stuff is there unless you count the dude's music but we'll ignore that for now but yeah the storyline's just it's it's very basic you know it's just you're you're the chosen one you need to save the world and you know there there's a few references to like uh, there's a character you meet in the first chapter her name's Pippa and it's implied that you two are kind of sweet on each other but that's that's about as far as anything goes because the focus on the game isn't as much of the storyline. It's very, it's more focused on the building and the questing. And so, like, the characters, and, that, and that's the thing, too. Like, they don't have time to have any of the characters get really weird because uh, every chapter, when you move on, they introduce an entirely new cast of characters to you. Except in the final chapter, where uh, members from every previous thing kind of come together and the band gets back together, and you have, like, the super group of the previous stuff. But that, that game's a good game for kids because, like, I spent way too much time building a castle like 
so much time building a castle. Did I need to spend that much time building a castle? No, it didn't do anything. But I just got in my delirium when I'm just like lying on the couch moaning. Like I was just like, oh, I need to build this fortification. And I had like this whole story in my head. And it was it was it was silly. That sounds great. Yeah. And just when I thought I was done, then I'm like, I remember I unlocked sandbox mode where I could build an even bigger castle. And I'm like looking at it now. I'm like, <laughs> what the hell was I doing? Like I, I, I had this like whole grand hall worked out and I, I'm like, and I'm like, well, the fortifications down on the, and I'm like mapping out this castle in my head. And I'm like, I was looking at it today and I'm like, what was I doing? Like how much I would, well, I was on a lot of cold medicine, but yeah, it was, I was, I was like, wow. But that's a good game for that. You can just get weird and obsessed and like build this like perfect castle and, and like feel, feel awesome. And the game rewards That's you for great. it. It's so good. It's so good. Anyway. How about board games, Brendan? What have you been playing? Well, you know, I'm always trying to play lots of board games. So, but uh, I picked out two to talk about today. Um, I got Wingspan. <gasps> oh, I hear nothing but good things. Yeah, it's really fun. I mean, it's not an amazing game. I would be surprised if we're going to see it in a lot of top five lists at the end of the year. It is really satisfying. I mean, it, you know, Stonemeyer always top-notch production, right? So the card quality is really good. The little plastic insert that holds the cards is really nice. It comes with a dice tower, like a cardboard dice tower to put the dice through. Uh, the eggs, it comes with these little eggs. So it's bird-themed. The idea is you're accumulating a, a bunch of birds for like an aviary. And it's an engine builder. So when you are when you play the birds, then all the birds have actions on them. So then, like, you might play a bird in the gather food row, and then when you gather food next time, then that bird also maybe gets you a card. Or So, like, each time you add a bird to your collection, the actions that you can take get more powerful. Part of why it's really satisfying is that it's one of those games where an individual turn is relatively small. There's, like, four different things you can do on your turn. And as long as you have the resources to pay for them, you will do them. But the interactions of the cards as you play them and build them mean that your turns get progressively more interesting as the game goes along. And there's a whole bunch of different ways to score points. Yeah. It's just, it's very satisfying as like a mid-level engine builder. And unlike some games, like I think you guys were talking about Ryan Lockett games, his engine games tend to end a little too soon. I think wingspan, it usually feels just right. I mean, you could often use one more turn, but I've played it a half a dozen times now and it's definitely going to be a favorite of the year. I don't, I don't, I don't see anybody saying it's their favorite game ever, but uh, it's really, it's really nice, easy to teach, fun to play, beautiful to look at. So yeah, it's excellent. Cool. What else? So the other game I've been playing a fair amount is Cerebria, which is from Mind Clash. I have a copy of that sitting right next to me. Oh, do you, have you, have you busted it out yet? No, I have not. I haven't had a chance to play it yet. Oh man, it is so good. I'm a big fan of that company. I have Tricarion and I have Anachrony, and I like them both a lot. Mind Clash, right? Yeah. I would say Cerebria is the, um, it's probably about the equivalent um, in terms of heaviness as Anachrony. Um, it's definitely, Tricarion is still more complex, but it's an area control game, uh, and you're playing on two, one of two teams. The theme is that you're, you're either Bliss or Gloom these emotions inside someone's mind and you're sort of fighting for control of them of their mind kind of like an elaborate 
surrealist version of of that Pixar movie where you got the emotions in people's heads. Inside Out. Inside Out, yeah. Yeah. It's like a surrealist version of Inside Out. Really very crunchy game with lots of, you know, as you, you get three actions per turn and you're sort of thinking about if I do these three actions and trigger them this way, then I can score this and this and do that and... Yeah, it's really crunchy. I've I tried the solo mode this weekend, uh, and that was really fun. They've got like an automa an automa like a robot player that you play against. Really tight, uh, juicy game. Very thinky. Pretty hard to learn. Um, I actually had a game all set up, and I sent them the how to learn video, and we got there. And one of the guys is like, I got 10 minutes in the video and I can't play this. <laughs> he's, somebody who, he's a he's a designer and he's working on a very complex game. So I was like, this should be right up his alley. But he just was like, nope. Um, so that was, I didn't find it that cha- that daunting, but I really like heavy, crunchy games. Um, and it's got, one of the things that somebody else who was looking at it said was that he was furious that they had so many specialty terms. So like, for example, when you play a card, you don't play a card, you invoke it. Right. (laughs) They're just trying to be thematic. Yeah. Everything is thematic, which means that you have to kind of learn all the terms to understand the rule book. You know, they don't have any obviously intuitive terms, although thematically everything makes sense. Like the terms they've given are all terms that would apply to those words. But I can't say enough good things about it. It's really fun. But definitely, you got to pick your audience when you go to play it because it's really crunchy. It's an interesting game because a lot of the Mind Clash games, I play them and I get done. I'm like, wow, that was great. Really meaty. How fun. We must have played it for like 90 minutes. And I look at my watch and it's been three hours. (laughs) Cerebria feels the other way and not in a bad way, but you get done. You're like, Oh, my mind is reeling. Wow. I can't believe I spent three hours at that. And you look at your watch. Like I timed my last game. It was an hour 40. It's an interesting thing where you're just, you're so focused on all the different things you can do. And like in an ideal setup, you're playing two versus two. So you have a partner that you can talk to and you're kind of trying to time your turns so that you're kind of passing, passing an action to the other person to get it or setting them up for a big turn. Um, so there's a lot of really nice interaction with your partner or with the other players. And I, I have the Kickstarter version, so it came with like a th- a third team option and really nice minis. And yeah, it's uh, been super fun. So Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at those minis over on BoardGameGeek, and yeah, they're real pretty. They're really weird. Yeah, and I mean, the, the art in it is gorgeous and super weird. Like all the, I was looking at one of the gloom emotions is is disgust and it's like this slug with a blue tongue and there's like goo coming out of its mouth and it's just yeah it's it's really a treat yeah definitely enjoyable if you get a chance to play it uh i look forward to when you get it off your shelf jonathan because i'll be interested to hear what you think yeah it sounds like i'm gonna have to really have the right crew for that yeah definitely and if you can have people watch the how to play video beforehand, like I think it, it would be a hard game to have people show up without having prepared it all and say, all right, I'm going to teach you this game. I mean, it's probably a 45 minute teach. I bet. Yeah. The, uh, the secret cabal guys have been spending a lot of time talking about it. They, uh, they actually reviewed it and everything. And they, they, 
echoed a lot of your sentiments. Yeah, I think Jamie Jamie said he's really good at it, and uh, I don't think I'm as. I believe the term thrown out was idiot savant. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so definitely endorsed. What have you been playing? Uh, gosh, let me scroll up. I totally forgot. Oh, uh, I got another session of Time Stories in with uh, my friends. That was super fun. Uh, we've talked about that before. No need. No, I don't want to go into it at all because I don't want to spoil a thing. Well, what? Which chapter would you? Which chapter did you do? Uh, the nineties uh, one, the Marcy case. Oh, okay. That is like my daughter's favorite game. Our group is hardcore into it. We've done everything that's come out. There's one more game in the first season, and then there's a blue box coming out this fall with a new story. Oh, are they? Uh, they doing like a season two type deal? If you've just done the Marcy case, then like as you go along, there's a kind of overarching story that emerges. Yeah, I've, I've noticed a couple of things already. There's one more box with the white design coming out this spring sometime, and that's going to be the end of the first story. And then apparently the the new one is going to start in the fall, and they're calling it the blue story because of the boxes are going to be blue. I don't know. I try not to read anything about them because, you know, it, you don't want to spoil it, but... Yeah, that's uh, that's a big favorite around our house. Yeah, that's good stuff. I'm really enjoying it. They should have just called. They should do another version of it that is uh, aimed at uh, kids and just do a proper Scooby Doo game. <laughs> That'd be great. Well, I th- I think they need to pick up the Quantum Leap license. Yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> I want to be Doctor Sam Beckett. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't? Uh, I played a game called Unstable Unicorns. Dale brought it over. Uh, it's ridiculous. It, I don't even know where to begin with it. It's just ridiculous. It's um, kind of on the same page as uh, Exploding Kittens or um, what's the other one I'm thinking of? Bears versus Babies. Kind of, but uh, there's another one. I can't think of it. But yeah, it's kind of on the same level as Exploding Kittens, Bears versus Babies. It's fun. It's goofy. It's a really good warm-up game or a cool-down game. But, um, you know, there's not a ton of depth there, but it, enough enough that you're going to have fun. And if you've never seen the cards before, looking at all the different unicorns is pretty funny. They've, they've got a really good sense of humor. It was made by that t-shirt company, right? I believe so. Yeah. 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 I got that for my son. Cause he loves everything unicorn related. So there's a lot to like there. Good times with that. It's kind of a meme game though. It is. It's got a, little, a certain little stabbiness to it. I was expecting a lot more sunshine, friendship and uh, rainbows than you get there. There's uh, definitely some, it's more like the unicorns from Cabin in the Woods. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I had a chance to sit down. Um, I, I spent a day at PAX South just kind of checking things out. And I, uh, one of the games that I played there was Wildlands. Oh. Yeah, it was super cool. I really enjoyed it. Martin Walls, who I, I know you're a big fan of Martin Walls. Mm-hmm. It's a very streamlined design extremely streamlined definitely the 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 most to the point uh martin walls design i've ever played it was super fun too it goes very very quickly uh everything is based on cards there's of course the the luck of the draw but there's enough wilds in the deck that you get a lot of luck mitigation for your draws and there's some great strategy before the game too because everybody's trying to do uh, one of two things. You're trying to score five points either by collecting gems off the board or uh, killing five opponents or any mixture of those two as long as you get to five points first. And the the whole thing is you've got a giant playground and everything's moved into spaces and everybody gets f- uh, four, four, four or five guys that you put down. Five guys. 
that you put down on the uh, the board. And so the first phase is you get a, a bunch of numbers and they match the spaces on the board. And you, I think you, you get dealt six or seven. And you only need, of course, five spaces. So you have a couple extras. And you go through and you basically look through the cards that you've been given and you decide who's going where based on you know their unique abilities, etc. Then you take those cards, pass them to the right, and uh, the leftover cards... So I guess there's five leftover cards. And you have to excuse me, I only played it the one time. Uh, but yeah, you, you get enough cards that you, you select five spots where you're going to start your guys, and then you have five leftover cards. And then you pass those to the right... And then the next person will use those to um, dish out their gems. You're you're hiding where you're going to be spawning, uh, and then you get the gem cards, and sometimes they'll line up real nicely, or sometimes you might have just screwed yourself. But uh, I don't know. I, I had a great, great time with it. It was super, super fun. I only had time to play it once, but that, that one play was really fun. I see a lot of really good stuff in that game. I really want to go back and play it again. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited to try that at some point. That's the first Martin Wallace game in a couple of years that wasn't an insta-buy for me, just because I the team-based combat stuff, the way it was first described, I didn't, I wasn't sure it would be a good fit. But, you know, I, I always think his designs are so interesting. Usually there's at least one or two things in them that you've either never seen before or they, he just does things differently than any other designer it's always a must play and usually an insta buy for me with his game. So uh, I'm very jealous that you got to try that. Well, I, I had a great time with it. Definitely, uh, <laughs> definitely worth checking out again, which is exciting. Uh, and then I had a chance to play Heroes of Tiranoth. Did I talk about that last time, Robert? I don't recall. Um, so Hero- Heroes of Tiranoth, of course, is the um, Warhammer Quest adventure card game redone with like a version two and released uh, in the Tiranoth universe that Fantasy Flight owns. Uh, because of yeah, course Yes, you did. I, I, I remember talking yes. about this. Yeah, I, I played another round of this, and I had a, a great time with it. Like It's just a fun co-op game, and you can play it alone very well, too, and it's just as much fun, and it's just a, it's a good, solid card game. Is that also, is that still designed by the same people who did, though? Well, no, I'm, I'm confusing the Warhammer Quest card game with the other one. The Pathfinder card game. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Definitely different. Uh, this is uh, Adam and Brady Sadler, I believe, who did oh. Descent 2.0, and uh, uh, they've got a new one coming out soon. Brook City it looks really cool. Nice. So basically, Miami Vice, the board game. But um, no, I'm really impressed with it. And then, uh, Brandon, I have you to thank for this next one. Uh, you had an episode not too long ago, well, in my listening history, where you talked about uh, <laughs> Elder Sign. Oh, and it had been a long yeah. time since I took Elder Sign off my shelf, so I took it off, and I actually taught it to my two eldest kids, and we were having a blast with it. Oh, it's really good. Yeah, yeah three is a great number. C- Cthulhu Yahtzee, <laughs> for sure. Uh, are you playing the base game? Uh, we yeah, we were playing the base game, but I do have the first expansion, the Omens of Ice. I just haven't had, I haven't, I haven't tried it yet. Everything from the gate. So Omens of Ice is like the fourth expansion, actually. Not to correct you, but... <laughs> no, I, I don't uh, keep no, up uh, with them, certainly. No, yeah, so um, everything after Gates of Arkham. So they did like one or two early ones that didn't really do much, but then they did Gates of Arkham and a bunch that have omens in the name. And all of those are really interesting because they, they introduce different locations and a couple different mechanisms, and I, I, that's going to be great. Uh, I haven't played the Omens of Ice one, 
Yeah, I think that's a really good game. Now you got me wanting to bust it out. I'm gonna have to get that out soon. <laughs> yeah, it was really nice to get it off. Get it off. I had played it for a long. I had not played it for a long time, and I I really genuinely enjoy, enjoyed it. I think Omens of Ice does this. The uh, Gates of Arkham started it. The new location cards, when you haven't, they're face down, so you can't see where you're going. And they have a thing that kind of gives you an idea of what might be there. But there's an interesting challenge of when you go there, then it's a mystery. There's a bit more um, story to it because you don't know exactly what you're going to face. Oh, that sounds exciting. I like that. Yeah. So I, I look forward to hearing how Omens of Ice is. Yeah, I think I'm going to I think I'm gonna stick with it and, and chew into that next. And that that's me. Robert, what about you? Uh, the day before I got sick... I went out and corrected my mistake from last time, and I got Monster Crunch. <laughs> I know you sent me the picture. You look so happy. I was happy, and, and then and then the plague hit, and and I haven't had a chance to play it at all. Oh, boo! I wanted to hear about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I I'm gonna correct that as soon as I can. I, I am now several hours past midnight. I'm not, or not midnight. I'm several hours past sunset, and uh, I'm not achy. I, I'm not you know, chilly or anything. I think I'm officially like officially on the mend. So I think I can make this happen sometime soon, but I got to get caught up on some adulting. Like we, we were supposed to put together some Ikea furniture this weekend and that didn't happen. So yeah, we're, we're behind on a bunch of adulting, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to try. I'm going to try before the next episode. Well, that brings us of course to the end of our off the shelf segment. So tell us what you've had off the shelf. Join us on all of our digital domains, except for Facebook because Robert shut that off. No, no, no. I shut off Facebook comments on the site, and they're not there anymore, so I don't even know why we're talking about them. Close enough for government work. Come talk to us on the group, though. Brendan's there, too. Yeah, Brendan is there. Regularly. They, they can't get rid of me. And stop me if I'm so wrong, you but you... Just block me if you wanted to, but... <laughs> yeah, I totally could. Uh, but stop me if I'm wrong. You're the, you're the person who coined Shelf of Opportunity, right? Uh, I definitely heard it somewhere else. I can't claim to have coined it. I may, I, I may have introduced it in our conversation... Jonathan, maybe when I was on your show, your old show, I may have mentioned it that way. It's been something I've I've said for a long time, just because the less I have to worry about shame in my life, the better. But, um, <laughs> Ding. Yeah, that's a that's a phrase I've used I've used for a while, but I, I definitely heard it somewhere else. But you know what? You you have passed your virus along because we put it a part of our <laughs> our our normal talking because I can't think of the words right now. And uh, uh, of Dyson Men, that that other podcast, they've started saying it too. I've heard them, heard them mention it a couple of times. So it's like it's it's worming its way through, man. It's you're you're doing the work. You're leaving your mark. Well, that's good. I always think about it this way. There is a novel by Cory Doctorow called "Someone Comes to Town, Someone Leaves Town," which, by the way, is a terrible name for a book. But there's a guy in there who has a whole house full of bookshelves, and somebody says, "Have you read all these?" And they're all full. And he said, "Have you read all these books?" And he's like, "No." That's the best part of having a bookshelf. It's a, a huge variety of opportunities that you have waiting you. Why would you want a bookshelf full of books you've already read? That's how I think of my games that I haven't played yet. It's all these opportunities that I haven't had a chance to try. These games I know I'm going to enjoy, or I'm hoping I'll enjoy. You've set yourself up for future fun by buying a game. I like that. Right on. All right, well, we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, it will be time for the wisdom of crowds. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by hitting us up at one of the following. You can join us on Patreon where we post bonus content. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitter. Find us at Forgot My Dice. 
You can join us in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash FMD podcast. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give Forgot My Dice a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Lastly, for those of you seeking experiences beyond our concepts of pleasure and pain, set the Lamont configuration to full hell mode. Oddly, you can find us in several levels of the labyrinth as the only thing playing on the radio. Wait, what? I have such sights to show you, Jonathan. Ah, oh, I need to take your Netflix account away from you. And welcome back. Of course, now that we're back from the break, it is time for our Wisdom of Crowds segment. And that is where we get to talk about news. I uh, I did not collect much news. I don't know if I mentioned this, but I was sick all last week. You're sick? Yeah. Yeah. Didn't didn't look around too hard. That's all right. That's all right. I've got a couple stories to talk about. Didn't seem like there was much around, to be honest with you. I didn't, I didn't see much. Was I just sick and missed it all? Uh, no, no, it's kind of been quiet. This is the normal lull, you know, the pre-Gen Con lull. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's good, that's good. We'll, we'll start to see the, the Gen Con releases start hyping themselves up, uh, probably I'd say in the next month and a half, two months or so. Yeah, March. Yeah. But I, I did find a couple of things. Alrighty, well, let's, uh, let's, let's get right into it. By the way, our guest supplied us a story. Oh yeah, well then that's where we're starting. Woohoo. What an honor to be the first one to talk. The news I want to talk about is a Kickstarter project um, from a company called Inside the Box Board Games. Uh, it's New, new Speak, uh, which is the uh, George Orwell phrase for language that you use, right? Uh, it's a social deduction game that you play in teams, and one team is a group of hackers trying to uh, elude the moderators by speaking in code. But what makes it look really interesting to me is that all of the codes that happen happen in conversation at the table with the other people listening. So there's this whole element of two teams trying to figure out the other team's code, just chatting with each other while they they play. It's got a really cool sort of futuristic cyberpunk theme to it. It's really well designed. It's pretty inexpensive uh, to get. Uh, I, I got the I went in for the deluxe version and it's thirty thirty three dollars US, so uh, pretty um, reasonable. I don't know. It, it looks like a really fun game, and uh, it didn't take me very long of looking at it to hit the back button. So as of uh, our broadcast, there should be about a week left uh, on that. It's called New Speak. That sounds a uh, double plus good. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yes, do it to Julia. Do you want me to start with the bazooka, Robert, or do you want me to end with the bazooka? <laughs> you, you end with the finisher, sir. All right, all right. Well, then, in that case, because I've been playing Time Stories, I've actually started to pay attention to Time Stories, and therefore, it is time to say that they have another expansion coming out, which I think you mentioned earlier in the show, Brendan. Oh, sorry to steal your thunder. No, it's okay. This is called Madame. <laughs> it takes place in 1673. And like you said, this is uh, this is closing out the white cycle, is what they're calling it. Which sounds like a laundry setting. <laughs> yeah, it really does. <laughs> I, I was going to try to make a joke about the Beatles' white album, but it, it I, I've been sick. It just wasn't coming. Well, they, they, they will shortly be entering their blue period. That's a Picasso thing, though. But that's true. There's yeah, a Picasso joke in there. We're bouncing around. We're bouncing around. No, they're calling the blue cycle the next uh, major shift. So I'm, I'm I'm curious to see where it's going to go. But yeah, 
No, the whole story takes place in a mansion. It should be fun. Oh, I can't wait. By far the fanciest cover of all of them. So when you play those, uh, Jonathan, do you usually do them in multiple sessions, or do you block out a big day and do all one go? No, we block out a good solid two, three hours. I think uh, Marcy Case took us two and a half hours. Yeah, that's the way we do it, too. The very first one we did, we ran out of time, and we had to go back and do it again. And we found, like, even a day later, you lose so much memory. that we're Yeah, just, yeah. We do it as a game day thing. Well, my, my buddy Dale uh, joined us, and Dale is uh, like a meticulous, meticulous notekeeper. So he's, he's sitting there with a notebook. And I, he's where he was studying up for a college course or something. He's taking all the notes. Well, I mean, you can everybody can play the way they want. I'm pretty sure the rule book says you're not supposed to take notes. I might be, I might be wrong, but... We definitely hold true to the... Uh, you can communicate by speech, but you can't read the cards. Right. Yeah, for sure. So you have to you have to kind of like summarize it like you actually were doing it over comms. So I don't know. Now now you got me curious. I'm gonna have to go look at the book and see if it says you can take take uh, notes because if it does uh, if it does say that you can't, I'm gonna I'm gonna make Dale stop. <laughs> no no note taking Dale. If you got through in two and a half hours, I think maybe you should let him take notes because we usually take four. So getting through in two and a half is pretty good. Yeah, Marcy case was a little shorter, I think. Yeah, it's. It's more action, less puzzle. At least that's what we felt about it. Did you feel the same way? As I recall, yeah, there was a fair amount of action in that one. Although some really good puzzles, too. Because the first one took us a good solid three and a half hours, maybe even close to four, to get okay. through. And there was a lot more puzzle in that one. Yeah. If you, I think the next one is the dragon one, right? Uh, yeah, Prophecy of Dragons. That was one of my favorite. And that one's longer. Um, as I recall. Okay, good. I'm really looking forward to that. I can't say how much I, I, mean, I like that game so much. It's been fun to see what they're doing. There's also, you get to a point where they point you to a spot on the website where you can like find out more about the story. Ooh. But I wouldn't do that until they tell you to. No, I don't want to. I, I, I want to experience it in the, the, the path that they've intended because this is, this is amazing. Good talk, Robert. I... Sorry. <laughs> he hasn't played. He's missing out. All right. Well, coming off of uh, what we talked about sort of last week, uh, how it's kind of a golden age of starter boxes, uh, Catalyst Game Labs for the 35th anniversary of Battletech is coming out with a new beginner box. Whoa. Yeah, for the, the board game, not like any of the role-playing game stuff or whatever, but... It's uh, it's going to be twenty bucks. It's going to have two plastic miniatures, the Griffin and the Wolverine. And if I'm not mistaken, one of those is one of the forbidden mechs that Harmony Gold kept suing everybody over. And then recently they lost that lawsuit, so now it's back, baby. So yeah, <laughs> I'm excited that BattleTech's getting a box set. That really makes me happy. Yeah. Oh no, this article says it. Yeah, the Griffin is is one of the one of the original ones that they sued over and lost. So yeah, that is for sure one of the mechs so it's back i have such a good sense memory of like a crumpled piece of paper with the little dots on it that i'm filling in and then erasing as i repair it and shooting other mechs oh man that's so exciting yeah those those sheets were like off the chain robert were you able to tell from the piece if the if the way that they're releasing this is like a new version of battletech or is this more like the the release of Star Wars that you you talked the West End Games one where they're like kind of re-releasing the old stuff. 
this sounds like re-releasing the old stuff. This is like the OG game. Because they, they mention uh, another one is they're going to come out with a new core box for Battletech, which has significantly more stuff and is, you know, 60 bucks. But it's, it's, it makes it... Because I, I, my friend had that, and it sounds very similar, like just everything that's in there. So yeah, we're talking about the old school, like those off-the-chain character sheets with 50,000 dots on them <laughs> that you have to like slowly nice. fill up. Yeah, yeah. That game's intense in a good way. The eureka moment for me with that was finding the section in the rules that detailed how to do death from above. (laughs) (laughs) Where you could jump your mech onto another mech, and it did as much damage to your legs as it did to the top of their mech. So I would build these mechs that were basically just Usain Bolt. They were giant legs, and then like a tiny body. And all I would do is jump on other mechs. (laughs) <laughs> well, buddy, I've got good news for you because there is actually going to be a Twitch stream associated with this, and it is called Death from Above. Oh, yeah. I must not have been the only one. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, oh, and both of them are coming in with a 48-page novella of fluff stuff, which is very cool. I like stuff like that. New Battletech. How awesome is that? And I actually talked about a board game for once. I'm, like, out of my out of my bandwidth or whatever, but I've been sick. What can I say? Well done. Well played. Mm-hmm. I'll, cl- I'll clap for myself. I'll, I'll mute the mic. <laughs> well, uh, Plat Hat Games is announcing a new game. Uh, Super Punch Fighter is coming soon, and this has caught my eye. It looks like a fighting game, like Smash Brothers, wrapped up in a board game. I saw this while I was sick, and it just, wow, that's so weird. Like, it came out of the fog. I remember this. It looked really cool. I was like, oh, I hope we cover this, and, and I... One to six players battle each other, trying to knock the other opponents off of the uh, off of the stage. The whole thing is done with cards. It, you basically get a different deck for each fighter that represents all the different button mashes, and you place thumb tokens on cards to increase movement, allow more draws, initiate extra attacks, or even block. I love the fact that that token's a thumb. That pleases me to no end. <laughs> so this looks hysterical. It looks completely nuts and bonkers. I love the art style. Uh, in the in the cover, there's a uh, person swinging a pig and using it as a uh, weapon. The pig looks placid as could be, but the guy looks like he just got hit by our, by the entire Rocky franchise. <laughs> nice. What's that game called again? Super Punch Fighter. This is, the game looks awesome. Uh, and then Luxor. Have you ever heard of Luxor, the board game from uh, Queen Games? I, I've heard of Luxor, the casino, because that's where I got married. Uh, well, this is a Rudiger Dorn game. Wasn't it up for the Spiel last year? It was. Spiel de Yar nominee. And it is getting its first expansion, The Mummy's Curse. And I gotta say, the, the cover on this looks awesome. So you get all the components you need for a fifth player, and you get a bunch of different content modules, which is cool. Um, you get four different modules, which means that you you can pick and choose, kind of like uh, the, the Camel Up uh, expansion pack was, Robert. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the mummy module includes a little mummy standee, and you get a bunch of tokens and uh, mummy tiles, and there's a mummy that players move around the board to curse other players, and that's awesome. (laughs) That's awesome. I like it. I always like mummies. So there you go. The Mummy's Curse, the first expansion of Luxor is coming out. Rudiger Dorn sounds like a racer from F-Zero. Rudiger Dorn. One of my childhood phobias was mummies when I was a kid. It's going to be okay. I, I was deathly afraid of mummies when I was a kid. Maybe I'll have to play it. Maybe I need to face my fear. Because fear is the mind killer. That's right. Luxor therapy. There, there you go. I like it. I like it too. I think I'm going to have to do that. Have you played Luxor, Brendan? 
I have not. Uh, I was just thinking, I know that I've seen Rudiger Dorn's name before, but I was trying to figure out where he did Las Vegas and Istanbul and Karuba. Those are the the three other games I've heard of that he's done. Yeah, Istanbul's great. I, I enjoyed that game. I didn't hear enough about it to make me seek it out. And like, there's a certain kind of Euro game that I often find fun when I play them, but usually it's sort of like someone else to say, hey, when you want to give this a try, and I have fun with it for the game, and then I don't need to try it again. Like Imhotep was that way for me. It just didn't click. Um, I feel like what I've seen of Karuba looks like that kind of game. It's weird that I have this idea, though, because I really like Phil Walker Harding's game games like um, Baron Park or uh, Gizmos. These are games that have a similar weight that I really enjoy. So I don't know. Maybe I'm just I'm prejudging, which isn't very nice to Mister Dorn. But uh, no, I haven't had a chance to try it. Well, this game looks fun. Uh, I have not played it either, but it certainly caught my eye. And you're basically all treasure hunters, and you're you're trying to run through and grab as many treasures as you can. But there's a lot of uh, stabby at each other. Uh, which is kind of fun. I don't, I tend to be a bit of a care bear, despite the fact that I'm a Martin Wallace fan, and all his games are super. I was gonna say, how can you? How like Martin Wallace games are super stabby. They are, um, although often they're they're you know stabby in the well. I guess the area control games. It's really I have to kick your sandcastle over to build mine. Well, if I if I get a chance, I will I will try. I like to play primarily co ops because I like to be cooperative with people. That and I'm afraid of the person that I become when I play games like 4X games because I get, I go full like uh, you know crazed lunatic uh, mm-hmm. you know Hannibal like the world is mine and I will have it all. I enjoy a game like that if I know going in that that's what it's going to be like like you know a game that's really mean. If we all kind of know ahead of time this is going to be a really mean game, then I can have a good time with it. What's trouble? What uh, the places where I really bump on a game and have trouble with it is if it feel it doesn't feel like it should be really mean, and then it is, or if the group has a habit of playing a game in a nice way and then somebody plays mean. Like there was a scandal in our family one time because Grandma hate blocked somebody in Ticket to Ride. <laughs> Grandma. Yeah. Going for the hate block. I like that. Like, because we sort of had trained our kids that, you know, in Ticket to Ride, you try to complete your own tickets, but you don't just block somebody just to block them. And Grandma could see somebody needed that, you know, that one notch between Kansas City and and uh, Omaha or whatever it is, and she just took that line just to take it. And, uh, whoa, it, w- it was a scandal. The hate block of 2016? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get uh, crazy on 4X games. Like uh, I, I remember we played Forbidden Stars once all day long. Like It was a six-hour game session of mm. Forbidden Stars. And during the lunch break, I spent the entire lunch break uh, scheming with one of the other players only to turn around and betray him and vault from <laughs> third place to first place in the last turn of the game. And uh, to, uh, watching everybody be stunned as I came out from nowhere and just unraveled my master plan that I'd spent the last six hours setting up. I was simultaneously thrilled to win and disgusted with myself because I was like, "How? who is this? What am I doing? Maybe that's part of where, like, my worst moment like that was playing a game of Dead of Winter where I was the traitor. And as our group, we were going to win. Like, the co-op part, and you know, Dead of Winter, it's pretty hard to win. Yeah, it is. 
But the game sets it up so the trader can have two turns in a row because of the way the first player marker moves, that the trader gets a turn as the last player and then becomes the first player. So they get two turns in a row. And I took us from like having three or four morale down to zero in two turns because it was the trader and then I won. And part of how I did it is I kept them from voting me out by pretending that I had just made a mistake. Like, I'm like, I accidentally played this card. I meant to play this other one. And they didn't vote me out. And then I just like, oh, by the way, I'm the traitor. And I just destroyed our whole colony. And I felt so bad. I mean, I, I know. <laughs> I felt so bad. When I was playing Werewords, I suddenly found myself dragging my feet whenever I would speak. I'd be like, uh, you know, the, uh, 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 because I knew it was burning a couple of extra precious seconds off the clock. I'm a terrible human, and now I feel dirty. Yeah. I like, like, a game that has straight-up competition where it's obvious that it's competition, I find far more pleasurable than a game where the game is built in a way that the way I win is to betray people. I but told you I'd rather play a co-op, but if you put me into that environment, I'm going to thrive. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right, Robert, you had, you had one more story, yes? Yes. Before I unleash the bazooka? Right. So there is a new CEO at Privateer Press by the name of Bob Watts, and this is an interesting hire because this dude has been in the industry forever. <laughs> He, I saw people talking about how he worked at Grenadier, how he worked at, uh, his resume says that he's worked at Sabretooth Games. Have you heard of Sabretooth Games, Jonathan? I have. And they made the Warhammer card game, and Games Workshop liked that game so much, they just bought his company out, <laughs> which I'm sure was nice. That's right. They did, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, that was, um, what was the name of that card game? Uh, I can't remember. It was a long time ago. That was, uh, he, he ran that company from 2003 to 05, so yeah, it was a while. Was Sabretooth Games the bigger, meaner cousin of Wolverine Games? <laughs> uh, was it Warcry? Yeah, Warcry, right? Yeah, I think that was it. Anyway, he also uh, he was also in Wizards of the Coast when they tried to make a miniatures game. He's worked for Games Workshop. Uh, yeah, so he's got a really, really long resume when it comes to just miniature gamery. So it's it's interesting that they hired him. And he hasn't, like, replaced anybody because the, the president of the company is the same person and Matt Wilson's still, you know, in the same spot. They just, you know, inserted him to get his expertise into the company from his other position, which is he ran a... a co- he runs a ran, I guess, a company called Cerberus Entertainment, which handles just privateer press stuff in the UK. And now he's moving over to the official. So I thought that was interesting news. It's uh, it's definitely it's definitely a sign that they're trying to uh, trying to shake things up a little bit and do something new, which is which is good. I like it when companies do that. It's a good sign that they're they're looking to the future. Guess what's getting a legacy game, buddy? Uh, I don't know. I have a feeling you guys were talking about it. Oh, you guys were talking about it. Yes, we were. I am. I am really stoked about this. I I saw this story actually just shortly before we started recording, and my exclamation was was enough to to understand my excitement. Interesting. I don't know about the game as written, but like just a terraforming project in general as a legacy game. That's actually a really interesting concept because the the concept itself lends itself to a, a thing that takes place over a very long period of time. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they change the mechanism so that the any given game, instead of going from, you know, zero degrees to 30 degrees, or I don't remember the, the numbers, if you go like two degrees and that's the game. Because part of the fun of that, as you think about it, would be like seeing Mars go from red Mars to green Mars, that whole arc. Yeah, but yeah. The game would have to change substantially to work that way. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I hope they go there though. That'd be really interesting. Like the concept itself is very good for a legacy game. Oh, I think it's great. I, I, I don't I, remember who wrote it, but I, I, I remember along. I, I should read it. God, I, I'm getting far too much stuff on my reading list. But there was that. I think it was Kim Stanley Robinson did that trilogy about Mars, and yeah, that the board game would be really interesting because just dealing with you know, because also like over long periods of time, you could deal with like a, a Martian independence front and all that jazz. It'd be it'd be interesting. Yeah, now you're making me think of uh, Red Faction. I love those games. Right there, you go. Netrunner had a thread, like one of the places you can go in Netrunner is Mars too. There was a whole Mars cycle and the corporations all settled Mars and there was a freedom force. Lots of good stuff to think about. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's very exciting. That Jonathan, I dubbed the bazooka well handled. Most of the time you hype those up and I'm like, Oh, ah, uh, but that one was good. Bravo, sir. Bravo. A tip of the hat. I have my moments. It had to happen once this year. And now that I've taken care of it in January, I can spend the rest of the year, all 11 months, disappointing you. Well, there's my childhood in a nutshell. Moving right along. <laughs> no, 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 sir. That's the childhood you're also going to give Amelia. Oh, low blow. She's the fifth one. Like, I feel like this is the one I get right. <laughs> like, I've learned so much from the failures of the first four. Like, I feel like this is, this is my chance, man. This is, this is redemption. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god my children are gonna need so much therapy um so i think that brings us to the end of the news oh my gosh oh worst parent ever it is now time of course for our year in the life segment our segment where we take a look at what we deep dove a year ago and we have 365 seconds to talk about it again and if we want to go longer of course that means let's get that sucker off the shelf so robert let's begin FMD episode 34, ridiculous amounts of donuts. We talked about Plane Shift Ixalan. It's seriously been a year since Ixalan? Yeah. Yeah, yes it has. That's freaking me out, man. I feel like we just recorded that. <laughs> Are you high? That's freaking me out, man. I, I, I am legitimately high on, on decongestants right now. I just took some more Sudafed. Nice. Oh, boy. This is going to be a fun deep dive. So much has happened since Plane Shift Ixalan. That's crazy. But yeah. I legitimately feel like we just did this review. I did not realize it's been a full year. Yeah, right, right. And more importantly, uh, have you been back to Voodoo Donuts or any of the gourmet donut places around town? I had some Round Rock Donuts not too long ago. It was lovely. I never went there when I lived there. I'm so disappointed because they have that donut. You fool. You missed out. Yeah, don't they have a donut that's like the size of your head? Yeah. Legitimately, when you open, when you put the box on your lap, it looks like you have a dozen donuts, but it's just one friggin' donut. Is that a is that a thing in Chicago? Gourmet donuts because it's certainly a thing in Portland too. There definitely have been. There's definitely gourmet gourmet um, bakeries. A lot of cupcake places. I don't know. I haven't really encountered much in the way of gourmet donuts though. We eat a lot of meat, a lot of gourmet hot dogs and stuff. Oh, you have a, 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 a wow. What's the name of that place? There's a place called Hot Dogs where you could get like no, this is like a hot dogs and uh, uh, that sort of thing. Devil Dogs. That's another place that has them. I need to come visit Chicago. Portillo's. You have Portillo's. I love Portillo's. That's good stuff. Now we live a little further away. I used to live about five minutes from one. <gasps> so it was like at least once a month. My wife and I would just look at each other and then I'd go get in the car and go get chocolate cake. Like they have the best chocolate cake. And oh, hot dogs yeah. and burgers and stuff too. But their chocolate cake is unbelievable. And the, the slices are enormous, so I would just get one slice, and I'd bring it home and cut it in half, and that would be our like special treat dessert. Uh. I, was, I always felt a little silly, but because you'd go wait in line, 
Like they have someone standing out there taking your order and radioing it in instead of uh, <laughs> to kind of help the help the line along. One, one chocolate cake, please. And they just they just want chocolate cake. I'm like, yep. I'm like, okay. It was great. Oh, Portillo's hot dog. They have one that's sausage and nacho cheese with uh, grilled onions. Oh god. Oh, on a poppy seed bun. You guys are killing me. I haven't had dinner yet. <laughs> You know, you, they, you know they opened up at Portillo's in California, actually, oddly enough, uh, down in Anaheim. That doesn't help me. That's like two days' you drive. drive down in, uh, you're on the West Coast. It's all pretty close, isn't it? You're closer than I am, Robert. I <laughs> beg to differ. I think we're about the same distance. You might be slightly more, but I did that drive. I, I remember it. Hold on, jerk. What, what city are you in? Uh, I'm in Portland, Oregon, you jack. God. Well, I don't know if you're officially Portland or if you're just outside Portland. Like, uh, okay, I'm Austin, but I'm not Austin. Okay, I'm I'm in Hillsboro. Oh, see? Ah, the truth comes out. Hillsboro, Oregon to Anaheim, California is... Dude, you can be there in 15 hours. 998 miles. Right, okay, okay what's yours? What's you're going to go through San... Fr- you're not even going to go through San Francisco. You're going to cut straight down the center of the state. I did the drive. I know what I do. All right, hold on. And now I'm going uh Cedar Park. God, Sudafed, Jonathan, you're so insufferable. I know. All right, let's see here. Maps. Maps. Ha! 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 I was correct, sir. 1,149 miles from Cedar Park, Texas, which is on the north side, to Chicago. You, my friend, are closer to Portillo's than I am. Uh, if it's any consolation... Actually, it should just be taunting you. I just looked it up. I'm 3.9 miles from Oportillo's. Ah, oh, that just hurts. <laughs> that hurts a little bit right there. That cuts deep, my friend. That cuts so deep. When I look at it on Google Maps, it's like there's a circle. I could drive between three and six miles in any of five directions and get to Oportillo's. <laughs> you, you can record an episode of your podcast and walk to Portillo's. I could. <sighs> okay, you guys are killing me. And, and our time's up anyway. And you're a big wiener, so what's your point? Wah, 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 wah. I love you. I still can't believe it's been a year since Ixalan. I was just looking at some of the art from uh, Ixalan as we chatted, and that was the octopus hair people versus feathered T Rexes in uh, Mazatlan. And and don't forget pirates and vampire conquistadors. Yeah, I mean I lo- I love that setting. That setting is so good. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just like it's like they took a bunch of random things that they got off of a dartboard threw them in a blender and said, it works. <laughs> All right, Sudafed Jonathan, close us out. All right, Sudafed Jonathan, closing us out. Um, well, that brings us to the end of a year of the life. It sounds like we need to go back. I haven't played in the Ixalan universe of you. No, and they have an adventure and everything. Oh, man. X marks the spot. That makes me want it. That makes me want it. And you can link up that adventure to an adventure that's in Tales from the Yawning Portal and run the... T- crypt of Tasagua or something because you go to a crypt but that's where the adventure ends but they say if you have this book just run it from here and make it extra long oh that sounds really cool actually there you go well that brings us to the end of a year in the life and the end of our segment which means it's breaky breaky time where I will go take some more decongestants and see what happens sounds good alright gang we will be right back after a short break and we are going to deep dive into uh, some graves today and we'll explain that in just a moment Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. 
And we are back from break, and uh, we are going to do something a little bit different for today's deep dive, because instead of diving into one game, we're going to dive into a lot of games, and we're going to do it in a way that we don't normally do, because we are lucky enough to have Brendan with us, and Brendan is not just an amazing board game designer or board game commentator on his podcast. He is a legit college professor, bringing us to a new level of uh, (laughs) validity that we're not really used to. I haven't listened to a ton, I apologize, but is this going to be kind of like your board game concierge that you were talking about in your last episode? Yeah, I think uh, we could we could certainly see it that way. Okay. Uh, maybe I'll just uh, snip this part out of your show and release it as one of mine. <laughs> there you go, Ooh. fair enough. We'll allow it. <laughs> uh, well, um, to that end, we're going to be talking about zombies today, and we're going to do it in an interesting way. We are... Uh, we, we've come up with a list of six different zombie types and we're going to take a look at kind of what illustrates those zombies and then pair them into some board games and i think uh i I see some good stuff on the list and i'm actually particularly partial to this because the game that got me into board gaming many moons ago was actually the game zombies have you ever played it oh yeah i have yeah that was a an early game for me too yeah it was recommended to me by a, a co-worker at the time and i went and picked it up it was my sister's second wedding, and we were out in California to go to the wedding, and uh, I stopped by a game store. It was actually my first trip to an FLGS, and I bought it on recommendation of uh, of this friend of mine, and that's kind of what sucked me into this. Nice. nice. So there you go. So zombies it is. Zombies have always been a, a creature that I've found fascinating um, I remember in middle school when I started watching horror movies, it was the zombie movies that I most enjoyed. When I got into academia and I started studying pop culture, particularly some horror stuff, zombies were always the most interesting films for me to write about or read about. And then when I had the opportunity at my college to create a January term class, so a three-week intensive course that wasn't something we already taught, this seemed like the perfect opportunity for me. So I've been teaching for 12 years now or something like that, a course about zombies every January where 20 students join me every day for three weeks and we watch zombie movies and we read scholarly work about them. And um, so it's just, it's a a creature I find endlessly fascinating. And I thought it would be fun to talk to you guys about zombies and think about how they fit in with games and, Kind of go from there. Well, you've come to the right place. And I still can't believe that you legitimately have created a college course out of zombies. That is simultaneously amazing and hashtag life goal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the it's it actually has, as a career element, it's been really interesting because I kind of did it just because it seemed like it would be fun. But when I did that, I started the class in 2007. There really weren't any other courses. There definitely weren't any others in catal- in college catalogs. There are a couple others now, but because of when I did it, then like somebody wrote at some news magazine, wrote an article, like 15 weird college courses. You know, there's a a common thread in American journalism where we're like, where we say, look at how these weirdo professors are wasting our kids money. And so they'll pick out courses that sound weird. So somebody wrote like the 15 weirdest college courses. And it was like, superhero studies and garbage studies and a couple other things. And then zombies in popular media because it was in the college catalog. So they could link to it. It got into this article 
And then because of that, then I started getting all these like media requests, like people wanting to like reporters writing articles about zombies want to have a quote from a professor. So then I started doing all these interviews and then I got like the high, the high point of this was uh, in 2012, I got to go to Comic-Con and I was on a panel with Max Brooks from the guy who wrote World War Z. That's cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I've done, I've done a couple of TV interviews. I've done a whole bunch of podcasts and um, radio things and I've been in newspapers and I've written a number of scholarly pieces about zombies. So it's, it actually ended up being a really weird piece of my career that ended up being a much more prominent piece than I expected it would be. But I also get to just talk about zombies every January with my students, which is really fun. That's not such a bad gig. And thank you for bringing a uh, ridiculous amount of legitimacy, far more than our show deserves. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll let you decide how much legitimacy I bring. Hey, buddy, you're a published author. You're you're, you're far more legitimate than us. We're just crackpots sitting in in our respective home studios (laughs) screaming at the walls. Anybody walking by my house just thinks I'm having a conversation with somebody. (laughs) All right. Well, let's kick it off. Let's kick it off. What do you have first for us on the list? Well, uh, first, I I thought we'd talk about the zombie that everyone thinks of, what I call the Romero zombie or the Hollywood zombie. This is the one that we see in Dawn of the Dead or Night of the Living Dead, the slow-walking, flesh-eating, decaying, moaning zombie. The Shambler. The Shambler, yeah. Um, This is the zombie that when you talk to anybody who doesn't watch horror movies and you say, look out for that zombie. This is what they're thinking of. It's the sort of default. A lot of people see them as eating brains, um, which comes from the 1985 movie Return of the Living Dead. Have either of you seen that? Oh, oh yeah. my God, yes. <laughs> it's always fun because on the first day of my class, I say, what do we know about zombies? So we make this big list and inevitably every year, at least one person, if not many, say, well, they like to eat brains. And it's really fun to think about that the brains thing, it really comes from this one movie, and it didn't happen till the 80s. So, like, if you'd asked in the early 80s, what do zombies like to eat? No one would have said brains. It's so, it's incredible to me to think about, like, that piece is such a big part of the the story. Where do you, have you guys played games with Romero zombies? Is this something you've seen? Oh, I think that's by far the most popular uh, trope. I mean, we, we mentioned zombies, uh, like almost every version of Zombicide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Zombicide re- relies very heavily on the, the horde mechanic, where you, you get overwhelmed by large quantities of these very slow-moving walkers, for lack of a better term. Right. And we, we talked about in the, the last episode, or whatever, they're doing a, they're doing a uh, Night of the Living Dead Zombicide game. Yeah, which looks awesome. Yeah, we're all tickled pink by the idea of turning Zombicide into a, a house siege. Because that would really shake the I game have up. To say, when you announced that news, I was like, "Well, now I have the first Zombicide game that I'm driven to buy." Uh, for myself, the the slow walking zombie game most that I most cling to is Last Night on Earth. Oh, that's a great one, Frog. Yeah, yeah, and like I feel like you probably don't need both that and Zombicide. One or the other will probably do you. So since uh, Last Night on Earth is one of the early zombie games I got. That's always been the one I stuck with, but I've played Zombicide a couple of times, and I do quite enjoy it. Uh, another one, if you if you want to look at it from a different perspective, is Mantic's uh, Walking Dead uh, game, where it's a more of a, a miniatures combat game. Okay, and, and the zombies play a major role in that, and the walker really is the, the the primary threat there, just like the the comic and the TV show. 
So I haven't played that one. I've played the the other Walking Dead game that's based on the comic book, where you're a, one of a number of groups of the characters from the comics, and you're driving around, and there's this whole... Have you played this one? There's a whole mechanism where each place you drive, you make noise, and zombies show up in your wake. So you have to kind of plan your path to get the things you need yeah. so that you don't come across your path again. That's a pretty fun one. That is a cool one. Almost more of a... Yeah, almost more of a puzzle. If we look across other forms of media that, that express that that zombie, um, kind of standard zombie, for lack of a better term, the, the I always think of Resident Evil right away. Sure. Yeah. The, the... And, of course, Resident Evil 2 is getting the board game treatment. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. It was on uh, Kickstarter not too long ago. Oh. It was, uh, gosh, who's making it? Steamforged, right? Yeah. Oh, I'm excited to see how that turns out. Uh, although, unless they have a way to have tarantulas in the tunnels, uh, it won't do it justice for my... For my money. Resident Evil is still the first game that ever made me have a... It, it was the first video game that made me have a physical, true reaction to a, to uh, to a, one of the scares in it. Yeah. And that was when I was playing the very, very first one. And the first time the dog jumps in through the window. Mm-hmm. I decided to stay up late. I had gotten it on day one from the KB Toys, because I'm old. I put it into the PlayStation. I waited until midnight. I started playing it in the dead of the night with all the lights off, and that dog jumped into the window, and I just screamed like a just a, <laughs> a, a terrified six-year-old. Tossed the controller across the room and said, that's enough for tonight. Go to bed. Not that I want to get too much farther off topic, but they just re-released that game, too, with with the Resident Evil. I know, and I'm kind of thinking about getting it, but 60 bucks for that game again. Like, oh, Capcom, why do you do this to me? I bought <laughs> your game so many friggin' times already. That's their model. Very clever. It's like a zombie. It just keeps coming back. Yeah, and I just keep buying it like an idiot. (laughs) Well, so the Romero zombie becomes the sort of key figure as we think about what zombies are. And right, most of the movies end up revealing that the people are the monsters, right? That the zombies end up being a sort of foil for us to tell these stories about people. But they're not the only kind of zombies. The next one I want to talk about is actually what... You know, I was saying in 85 or in 86, people will say brains. In 1980, they think of Romero. If you ask somebody in 1950 what a zombie is, they don't think of what we think of, right? They think of somebody has been put under a spell by a, like a voodoo witch doctor. So like the voodoo zombie is a creature that this will be interesting to see. I don't know if I can think of any games. I'm keen to see what you can think of. But the voodoo zombie is somebody who's been captured with a spell and now is made to serve a kind of like a, a witch doctor type figure. The way we talk about the voodoo zombie in my class or in scholarship is often tied up with sort of concerns about how Americans look at the other particular people in, in Haiti where the voodoo where the voodoo is a, a centerpiece of the religion there. And the figure of the zombie becomes a kind of way for us to uh, imagine this sort of mystical, creepy other place. It's really tied into a lot of racist overtones of the first half of the 20th century and lingering concerns about colonialism. So, I mean, as a as a piece of scholarly work, the voodoo zombie is a really interesting figure. It's mostly left... Let me ask you a question. Is, uh, is the Bela Lugosi classic white zombie in the genre? Sure. In fact, that's the... Yeah, that's one of the movies I show to my students. That one's embroiled with all sorts of weirdness, too, because Bela Lugosi is clearly Eastern European, so it's weird. <laughs> you know, normally, the the Bokor, the voodoo priest who would make someone into a zombie, is normally 
a Haitian. So if you look at something like I Walked with a Zombie, which is a 1943 movie, that one's probably closer to the image people have of it. But yeah, White Zombie pretty clearly replicates a lot of the ideas. One of the big texts that brought zombies into American popular consciousness, there was a a book in the 20s called The Magic Island, which is like a travel adventure book about Haiti. And the guy who wrote it, William Seabrook, talks about seeing zombies in Haiti. And so people become really fascinated with this idea. And then the zombie becomes a kind of figure alongside vampires and werewolves and other monsters of the 30s, where people just sort of, this is another thing, but it's always couched as a thing you would see in the Caribbean um, and, and through the magic. And, and then it had a, uh, a brief resurgence in 1988's uh, film with uh, Bill Pullman, directed by oh, Wes Craven. Oh, Serpent in the Rainbow. <laughs> the Serpent in the Rainbow. You took her right off the tip of my tongue. I've been waiting. For sure. Uh, yeah, that movie. <laughs> I love that movie. It's so bad. It's pretty bad. It's really weird if you go and look that book up. It's based on a book by a Harvard ethnobotanist that's like a nonfiction book. Like, yeah, I was just reading that on Wikipedia, and I'm like, what? So weird. I mean, the book itself is written like the guy thinks he's Indiana Jones. It's super weird. There's a lot of criticism that he claims stuff is true that couldn't be true. And then he wrote another book that's much more scientific. And it's that's a that's a Wikipedia rabbit hole that's well worth diving into. But then somehow he really let his agent screw up the contract because the movie they make is ridiculous. And like, if he's trying to be taken seriously as a scholar to have them make this movie based on his book is crazy. That is the beginning of Bill Pullman's amazing career. <laughs> yeah. Uh, between that and, uh, 19 and, uh, Independence day, you've got all the Bill Pullman greatness. <laughs> there. there's, there's nothing more needed in this world. I don't know. Are, are there games that have like voodoo zombies or magical zombies or. Yeah, I can, I can think of a couple. Um, there's a very prominent voodoo culture in, uh, the hordes universe. Okay. For, uh, War machines, war machines, and hordes. Um, it's the the swamp gators. They they do voodoo, and they actually resurrect these uh, you know like little reanimated bodies of fishmen all the time. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's even more than that. One of the uh, the warcasters, uh, Maylock, he he's a zombie. He uh, the the head guy. I forget his name now, but he, he resurrected him and bound his soul into a fetish he has. And then he makes him go do stuff, even though he doesn't really want to, cause you know, he's dead. He just kind of wants to chill out and be dead. Oh, that's crazy. Hey. Yeah. And on, on the board game front they're they're represented in the, uh, game that takes place in the Hordes universe, which is, uh, Widower's Wood. Nice. There's a lot of shamblers in that one. I like that. And if you want to go down the, the RPG rabbit hole, uh, pick up Trail of Cthulhu's book, Shadows Over Filmland, where they have, since White Zombie's uh, public domain now, they just wrote a Cthulhu-esque sequel to it called Black Zombie, which picks up right where the movie left off. <laughs> yeah, the end of the movie is hilarious. Wow, I like that a lot. So I don't know, I don't know the Hordes universe much, but would you think the Dreadnoughts in the Warhammer 40k... Could you think of them as zombies? Like it's their spirit trapped inside a robot. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty apt description. A little bit. Yeah, especially since they're bound, uh, you know, with, without free will. They didn't yeah, choose to be there. Well, in the grim dark future, it, there is only war. So, what else are they? <laughs> that's true. <laughs> 
If you want to go down the lore rabbit hole of 40K, uh, the Eldar believe that if they die, their souls will be consumed by Slanesh. And so they keep little rocks on them uh, called soul stones. And when they die, their soul enters those. And then some troops get resurrected and put robot bodies by sticking their stones into the robot bodies. And that is the Wraith Lords and the Wraith Guard, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, you are totally right. You know, I had a, I had a huge Eldar army that I've been using. I've been selling it off piece by piece on eBay to pay for my board game hobby the last year or so. Uh, okay, so the next four, I have four other kinds of zombies for us to explore. Um, the next one, this is uh, this is my favorite little subgenre of zombies. <laughs> it's amazing. So if you're afraid, if you're you're thinking you want to make a movie and you want people shooting humanoid creatures, and you're afraid zombies just aren't scary enough, or or you you people might feel some guilt because it kind of looks like grandma. Well, what you do is you put them in a Nazi uniform and. There is a whole bunch of movies where there's Nazi zombies. Most of them are really bad. There's a bunch from the 70s and 80s. There's one sort of famous exploitation movie called Oasis of the Zombies. It has like the classic exploitation horror movie thing of like naked ladies playing volleyball and then like the zombies attack them. There's a there's one called The Frozen Dead that's got a not like a Nazi submarine full of zombies. Um, oh, I've seen that one. That one's great. Yeah. That's like late 60s, right? Right. Uh, and there's a bunch of voodoo zombie movies that are also like sort of overlap. There's one called King of the Zombies where there's a Austrian Nazi scientist trying to learn to use voodoo magic to make zombies. There's Nazi zombies all over the place. And then more recently, there's a couple movies out of Sweden. Dead Snow. Dead Snow and Dead... So good. Have you seen Dead... Was Overlord one of these, Jonathan? Overlord is a Nazi zombie movie. It is. I haven't seen this one yet. <laughs> Oh my god, it was awesome! It's so bad. I can't believe that. Uh, I can't believe it was made. Period. Like this was a big budget film from you know from uh, produced by J.J. Abrams. Even it's got way more budget and flash than it ever ever deserved, and it's so much fun. I had a great time with it. Well, yeah. So Dead Snow. I don't know, Robert. Have you seen Dead Snow? No, I haven't yet. So that one uh, is Nazi zombies in Norway, and. Then they made a sequel called Dead Snow 2, Red vs. Dead, where in order to fight the Nazi zombies, he, the heroes use some magic to raise communist zombies, <laughs> like from the Russian army of World War II, to fight the Nazi zombies. That's, uh, it gets pretty wild. But uh, So yeah, Nazi zombies are a thing that we've seen all over the place in, in movies. Um, and, and, and video games. Video games. In fact, there's a, a, there's a whole game called Nazi Zombie Trilogy. Really? What's I don't know that one. Uh, it's from Rebellion Studios, and it uses the Sniper Elite engine. Okay. And so basically, um, your your characters that are thrust into uh, World War II, where a German experiment has, of course, as always, gone completely awry, and now there are Nazi zombies shambling around trying to eat you. <laughs> well, of course, the first first person shooter I ever played was Wolfenstein Three, uh, yeah, which had those Nazis. All there. kinds of great Nazi zombies in that yeah. one. So I, I surprised nobody's made a Wolfenstein board game yet. The license is probably pretty expensive since it's still active as a video game. I don't know. We got two Doom ones. We got a, a Fallout one. Yeah, that's true. So what are the? Are there any Nazi zombie board games? Uh, let me think. Yes, yes. Uh, there are a lot of Nazi zombies in. Oh, what is it called? Um, Shadows over Norm or Shadows of Normandy, mm. which is Heroes of Normandy. With the uh, Cthulhu slash zombie wrapper around it. Okay. 
It's the uh, Actum Cthulhu is the name of the the RPG that it borrows the the setting from, and there are Nazi zombies in there. And then, of course, this year there was a lot of news about uh, Axis and Allies and zombies as well. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that one. I really want to get that. My my FLGS had it on the shelf, and I was so tempted, but I really need to make some room. Yeah, I'm tempted to get it as a gift. I have a neighbor who is really into Axis and Allies, and so I might get him a gift. I've heard it actually. One of the things I heard about it is that it makes the um, the play of Axis and Allies easier for less experienced players because it adds more randomness into the evolution of the different countries because you get these technologies and it's much more randomized. Like one of the things about Axis and Allies, if you play with somebody who's played a lot, there are key moves you have to make. And if you don't make them, you will just lose. Like the, the game is kind of solved, um, not entirely, but pretty significantly by the people who know what they're doing. So if you're playing someone who knows what they're doing and you don't, it doesn't go so well. <laughs> I'm hoping that's like every game I play. <laughs> Are you on the not not knowing what you're doing side? <laughs> oh yeah, generally speaking, I'm just <laughs> I'm just there hoping for the best. So other than that RPG you mentioned, are there other RPGs that explore the Nazi zombie territory? It, there's a Nazi zombie scenario in um, End of the World Zombie Apocalypse, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I. <sighs> I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but I mean, if there's a World War II RPG out there, I'm sure they've done a, a zombie something about it. Like, there's no reason not to. Right. And I guess maybe I don't know. Is there a Hellboy? Uh, is there a yes. the Hellboy board game is coming? Oh yes, I, and it does have Nazi zombies in it. I went all in for that. Um, and ages and ages ago, uh, Steve Jackson did a, a, an RPG as well. So, uh, so the next kind of zombie I wanted to mention are. I guess what I call the alien slug zombies. Uh, and the example for this would be uh, the James Gunn movie Slither, which uh, is... Oh, allow me to one-up that. <laughs> One of my most favorite movies of all time. It's blessedly terrible in all the right ways. Night of the Creeps, 1986. Night of the Creeps is fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Fred Decker that went on to make uh, uh, Monster Squad. And you know that's written by Shane Black. Shane Black. Monster Squad. Yeah, he went on to uh, Monster Squad and uh, Night of the Creeps. Oh, that's great. Yeah, he, he, I believe he co-wrote both with uh, Decker. And allow me to drag this down a little bit. <laughs> also, a very good example is Starship Troopers Part Two. Ooh, Ooh that is terrible. It's so bad. <laughs> it's so so bad. But an excellent point. Yeah that all of these have this idea of a creature that gets into your body and then takes control of you. And, um, why is it always through the mouth of the ear? Yeah. Cause that's, it's super gross, right? Like we don't, yeah. I mean, those are places that we feel like we should be in control of. We feel vulnerable in, in uh, horror scholarship. We call that the abject. Uh, it's the, the part of us that, um, it feels disgusting. The idea of something, um, getting into your body that way, it resonates on a deep level that we feel nervous about. That's why that sequence in Wrath of Khan feels so nasty. Oh, right. God, that is unsettling. Because if you get, you know, getting something in your ear that ugh, feels just ugh, awful. If you want to go for for a classic, yeah. uh, go read yourself the uh, the Puppet Masters by Highland. Mm. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the movie was not great, but it wasn't bad. (laughs) 
Yeah. Uh, Puppet Masters, and to some extent, uh, would you even group together the... Uh, What's the one where they go to sleep in the pod people? Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of an offshoot of it. Yeah. I mean, if you sort of think about... Uh, we do watch that in my class. To sort of think about the idea of zombies where it takes over your body and your personality, but then presumably you don't mind. Uh, apologies to listeners. I got a dog in the room now, uh, and she has decided this is a good time to drink out of the water bowl. So... Um, Whatever. Or I'm being taken no, over by an no slug. One of the one of the two. Um, yeah. So the other movie that I would put in that category is The Thing. Yeah. Which isn't really a person's body being taken over by an alien so much as being co-opted, or you know. But the not, impersonation is almost scarier, right? Because you never know who to trust at that point. And that's that's what The Thing does so brutally well. Right. Well, and I remember listening to a commentary with Carpenter, and I, I, th- I think it was him, but he said he was of the opinion that you don't actually know you're a thing until it happens. Right. Like, it's like, oh, hey, my head's splitting apart. I'm going to go eat a fool. Okay. <laughs> right. Until then, it's you're simulating, it's simulating so well that you're simulating being a, being a person. You don't even know that you're not one. Um, yeah. Which is extra horrifying. Yes. That's certainly something we've seen in games. I mean, there is a thing game. I haven't gotten to try yeah, it. Yeah, Outpost, thir- uh, Outpost 31 is brilliant. That game is so creepily well done. Yeah, one of the endings of Betrayal does that. I played that one. Okay. It's like an alien virus, but yeah, there, there is one of those. Nice. And then you could also look at uh, Dark Moon, which is basically the thing. There have been a bunch of games. That they, um, they also do that to an extent with... Uh, there's this new zombie side coming out this year. What is it? Zom- it's not just zombie side in space, because that would be funny. But, oh, yeah, it's the same, that sort of thing, like you could get infected. Yeah, yeah, like there's a whole, I, I believe there's, there's Invader. a scenario around infection. Invader, yeah. And the, the, the outpost that you're basically going to, it's kind of like Dead Space, where the zombies have taken over the outpost and you're kind of going into it. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that, I mean, that's certainly something. I think because one of the things we like about games is this idea of, the par- of paranoia, of not knowing who is or isn't on your team. And so having part of the game be that some people are pretending to be on your team, but they're not. I mean, that goes to sort of the heart of the social deduction game. And so the alien slug zombies really fit that model. So would you say that the, the, uh, unknown parasite zombie, uh, kind of goes in that same model? Sure. Because like, I'm thinking of movies like last days on Mars. Oh yeah. Yeah. Or, or even, even older and, and more terrible ghosts of Mars. <laughs> A little bit of a connoisseur. I don't know if you'd know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> of really yeah, crappy I mean, I movies. Think, yeah. I think if you're gonna like, if you're sticking strictly to the alien slug zombies, most of the people who get taken over can't pass as a person, right? They like in Night of the Creeps, the people who've been taken over by those slugs, they don't act like people. They act like zombies. We might. It might be worth trying to draw a distinction between pretending zombies and not pretending zombies. Well, not to, not to get ahead on the list, but it it sounds like, uh, especially in sci-fi, there's a lot of things that bridge the next type of zombie to the alien slug zombie. For sure. Uh, in fact, yeah, I, I think we should jump right ahead. The, you know, the next type of zombie I want to bring up is what they call the philosophical zombie, uh, which is just sort of a fancy way of talking about a, a sort of a way of thinking about what it means to be a person. Philosophers have used this idea of a being that acts just like a person but we know for certain it isn't one either. There's some way of telling medically that there's no, there's no there there 
or it's a robot or something. And sort of the question, the question that philosophers are doing is they're sort of exploring the question of what is, where is the us in all of this? Where is the, the me in my body, especially if I could act like myself, but not be there. Would that still be me? It's sort of asking. Yeah. I think the pod people are much more in that vein. Yeah. I mean, they are, they're zombies because they're the horde, but they're also, you know, I mean, they are you, they just, they're like, Hey, well, I'll be at peace and there won't be any war. And I'm going to do a weird scream and you know, that type of stuff. Oh man, that, that, that image of Sutherland at the end of that movie screaming, (laughs) yeah, that, that will forever be seared into my psyche as the the moment my childhood was over. <laughs> I was about to elaborate on that in a way that would ruin the movie if people haven't seen it, so I'm I'm not gonna. <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert: the movie's only forty years old, or is it thirty? 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 No, it's forty. 40. No, it's forty. God, I'm getting old. Uh, but yeah, the you know, so the idea of thinking about what does it mean to create, what does it mean to have a being that you know isn't a person but acts like a person, and do you owe it any? ethical obligations um, is a question that philosophers have asked. And I, I like to explore that with my students as well. You know, a lot of Android type blade runner type of stories uh, explore that territory as well. Also the reimagined Battlestar. for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. With the humanoid Cylons and all that, which is funny. Cause like, yeah, cause philosophical zombies are Battlestar, but slug zombies are the game it's based on <laughs> dark moon. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, the, another game that comes to mind um, sort of on the same thing as Blade Runner is um, Shadowrun, because you've got an entire class in Shadowrun that's all about basically losing your humanity on purpose to try and upgrade yourself. And, and you know, at what point are you not human anymore? And there uh, there's game mechanics that involve that, right? Like s- stuff about yeah. how you're supposed to play or how you act based on... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's your it's your essence stat, which is sort of your your mojo, and uh, you need it. Like that's why there's not a lot of like cyborg uh, wizards in that setting because uh, your ability to do magic is also directly tied to your essence. So the higher your essence is, the better it, it easier it is for you to do magic. But as you gain, you know, if you get your arm blown off and get it replaced, then you lose essence at that point, and you, it's harder for you to cast you know wizardry magic. So there's kind of a push pull in that too. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. I think that's one of the interesting questions that um, uh, the iRobot movie asked. And, and mind you, the book is infinitely better than the movie. But the movie did ask an interesting question about, you know, do you lose humanity if you lose a piece of yourself? I like to explore that with my students when we're talking about zombies. Because we think about, I mean, the the zombie is a sort of stark example of the kinds of things we have to deal with when we try to imagine what it means to think of ourselves as a as a, an entity, how do we know what us is? You know, we think about like, if you get drunk or you're on drugs or is that you, like, which one is you? If you think about who you are now versus who you were 20 years ago, there's some of you that's the same, but you're often a very different person. Like a big example. Or the classic case study, uh, Phineas Gage. Oh yeah. Uh, do you want to remind people about who that is? Do you know, do you know who Phineas Gage is, Jonathan? No, I don't. Okay. So there was a a railroad construction foreman and uh, he was they were using like gunpowder or something to lay down like railroad spikes. Mm -hmm. And through some sort of mishap, the railroad spike went through his head and he survived. And not only did he survive, he like recovered in the sense that, you know, even though he had a gaping hole through his head, it all healed up and he was able to function. But he became kind of like 
I don't remember. I remember uh, we talked about him a bit in one of my classes in college, but I remember that he, he, for whatever reason, he could really like be like an animal whisperer. Like he, he knew how to like talk to squirrels and stuff, but he acted just really strange. And it was one of the first sort of things about, you know, what is it in your brain that makes you, you, because he definitely wasn't him anymore after that, but he was still, you know, him. Cause he kind of remembered stuff too. So it was, a uh, that, that is an interesting Wikipedia spiral. If you want to read about it in the a sort of less extreme, but similar way, if you think about people who maybe through uh, treatment discover like a, uh, treatment for depression using drugs or something. And so they change their brain chemistry and then they feel better. And then there's a question of like, which one of, which one of the personality was, was them if they've, you know, sort of changed fundamentally. Or you think about like the, all the sports at the athletes who have, were discovering getting the significant brain trauma from things like football late in life, they lose their ability to govern how they act. So yeah, I, I think all of these tie into the question of some of the, the, the zombie films, particularly that take a more nuanced approach to the question of what it means to be a zombie or what it means to not be in control of yourself anymore. Yeah. I don't know. This is, it, it, it's a kind of um, squishy territory for games to approach. Yeah, I think the uh, the ones we talked about already that had that had to do with like who's pretending to be something they're not uh, do that. But I haven't seen games that sort of tackle the how do you control your own memories kind of thing. I don't know. Maybe the plaid hat game Comanauts will do some of that. Um, that's a new one coming out where you explore somebody in a coma, right? Yeah, yeah. There's a another coma game. What is it called? Everything epic put it out. Well, there's that, there's that troubled life of Billy Kerr, but I don't think that's. I mean, that's about memories. Well, that's, yeah, that's that's just him remembering his life. Coma Ward. It's more a, more of a horror bend, but um, it's still it uh, it covers uh, you know being in a coma. Well, this is all very depressing. So let's talk about zombies that are trying to eat you again. Um, <laughs> so you know in. 2002, 2003, 2004, we saw this sort of resurgence in zombie films. And I think you can point to three movies as sort of re- revitalizing the genre, along with the comic book, The Walking Dead. Uh, Shaun of the Dead sort of takes on the, sh- the slow zombie again. And then we have the Dawn of the Dead remake and 28 Days Later, both of which suddenly zombies are sprinting. Now, you're both scholars of zombies or avid fans, so you remember that in in Return of the Living Dead in 1985, the zombies were running. It's not that zombies haven't been running before, but the ones in 28 Days Later and the ones in the new, the remake of Dawn of the Dead are so much scarier because they're just yeah, sprinting true. and it's a giant horde of them and, you know, it's not funny. Since then, that's... I, I think I think, the, I think the difference is, is, and the way you really need to imagine it, is in Return of the Living Dead... Yes, the zombies ran, but they ran like if you got me and Jonathan in zombie makeup and you made told us to ran, like we could run, but I'd fall behind pretty quick because I'm not in the best shape, especially right now because I'm, I'm sick. But yeah, you know, like they don't run. They run, but they don't like run. Right. <laughs> but the Dawn of the Dead remake, they sprint like Tom freaking Cruise <laughs> and they like roar like animals. Like right. it, it's it's frightening. Like they are just on you. And if you watched the Day of the Dead remake, which was garbage... Uh, they climb the walls. Agreed. Um, yeah. Yeah. If I can make a comment about that, uh, I know a positive podcast, so I won't dive into it too much, but um, 
I was really excited when I saw the first trailer for the new Day of the Dead movie, because I saw that it was going to have Ving Rhames in it, and he's in the new Dawn of the Dead, right? And in Dawn of the Dead, his character, who gets stuck in the mall, is constantly talking about how he wants to leave to go find his brother. When they cast him in the new Day of the Dead, my thought was, oh my god, they're casting him as his twin brother. Because they never articulated that it was twin brother, but it could have been. They didn't say it wasn't. So, look, what a cool idea. He's cast as the other twin, and we get to see what happens to the other twin in the thing. But then they never pay that off. Like, they never elaborate enough to make it clear that he is in fact supposed to be that character in fact it couldn't be because the new day of the dead takes place in colorado and the dawn of the dead took place in milwaukee so the idea that the one wants to go to his brother nearby just doesn't make any sense so like they had the opportunity to do it and then they missed it so (laughs) real bummer there but what about so it's not the only thing they missed (laughs) they also made a terrible movie but Positive podcast, right? Um, <laughs> so, are there? I mean, there are fast zombies in Zombicide, right? What other games have fast? Yeah, there's there's runners in uh, in Zombicide. Okay, they suck. Are there other games that have fast zombies? Um, jeez, let me look at what I think. I was thinking about. Um, I have this game called Student Bodies that's about running away from zombies, but I think that's mostly the characters are running, not the zombies. I don't know that I... I mean, Zombicide is certainly one that comes to mind. Uh, that's because the difference between them and the standard horde is is striking, because they, 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 they are up on you super, super quick. Sure. You know, the other game that seems like, at least sort of feels like that Left for Dead video game with lots of different kinds of zombies is uh, there's a game called Carnival Zombie that's like a tower defense game almost, where you're trapped in Venice during the carnival and there's zombies everywhere. Um, and some of those are, they move faster than others, but they're cubes. They're not miniatures or anything. So it doesn't, the art looks good, but it doesn't feel super, doesn't feel like you're being besieged by zombies the way some of those other games do. The, the point I, I, I'm starting to think we're missing here is I, I, I think the virus part is also a key component of this because mm-hmm. it's not just that they run fast and they're rotting. They, they don't look like that. They, they're also sick. Cause like Dawn of the dead, a part of a key part of its plot point was kind of the, the body horror part of the lady who gets you know she's pregnant and gets bitten by a zombie and what happens there and it's this like sickness and they really play up the sickness part of it you know yeah i mean they've they've always had that infective thing but like in dawn of the dead they really amped that up and made it like gross i remember yeah that that was super effective too and 28 28 days later really focused on the infection part of it the idea that like one drop of blood that gets into your eye and you turn in like a minute yeah and also uh the brad pitt awful movie right uh, world war z the, world war z yeah that that one had a very also similar premise along those lines that it was it was a virus and there was yeah. i don't know i would yeah. say for anyone who hasn't read the book the book world war z is very different <laughs> from yeah so Sur- like surprisingly deep actually i will say this for the the world war z movie there's one striking visual that that always stuck with me and that's when the zombies are rushing at the wall and they start piling on top of each other yeah yeah that's that was an effective visual that was a great moment and Brad Pitt has a great beard, as I recall. Yeah, I can't think of a a, a, a game that plays with the notion of, of illness, too. You know, and, and just sort of the, the uncomfortableness of, of, you know, being sick and, and play, laying into that, too. Because, I mean, it's unpleasant. The one I can think of is 
the very first game that I know of that tried to do the tried to do the thing, right? You know, we we had we talked about the thing. We talked about Dark Moon. There's also um, Who Goes There, which is another game that came out this last year, which is also based on the thing. The first game that I know that tried to do it was a game called Panic Station um, from Stronghold. And it's why it's been widely panned because the it's really fiddly, but a key part of it is you're exploring. It's like you're the team that's been sent. If you think about the movie, the thing you're the team that's been sent to, to check out what's happened at the base after the movie. So you get there and everything's wrecked and you're like going through the base, trying to figure out what's going on. And the way the game works is that everybody's got a little health card. And whenever you enter the room with another player's character, you either have to attack them or exchange health cards with them. And if you don't attack them, then you exchange health cards. And if they hand you an infected card, now you're both infected. Oh, that's interesting. Um, And so the idea is that you can't trust anybody because if someone hands you an infected card, then boom, you're infected. The the thing does something kind of similar with the, the blood test that happens three times throughout the game. And every time there's a chance, but it's not guaranteed that somebody else will become infected. And mm. that kind of ratchets up the paranoia in that game. Something crazy. So, yeah, I mean, the, well, and the, you know. the, the classic Battlestar also did that where you like halfway through the game, you, you get another human or not human card too. Right. Which that's always such a great moment. Like you, like you were talking about, like you don't know you're a Cylon until you know, you know, I wonder if, if, if maybe the reason that, that, uh, the, the fast zombies don't make it into games so much is because they are, they're cheapened by the fact that we have time to think about it. Yeah. The place they would work is in a real time game. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think that's why you see them a lot in video games. Mm hmm. Cause the, what's scary about them is they're moving quickly. So in a, in a board game, especially a turn-based one or something, they moving slowly wouldn't really do much. Uh, maybe if they took the model from, um, I haven't played it, but I've seen the the gameplays of that new that game that Tom Vassell is so excited about, um, Project Elite, which is like a real time castle uh, tower defense game, and so you're constantly rolling, and every time you roll one of the bad things, the bad guys move forward, and so you're kind of hurrying against the clock. Maybe that would be a way to use the fast zombies. Would be something like that. Yeah, I think probably video games are the better medium for that sort of excitement so that's i mean those are the that's the list of zombies i wanted to share with you guys you know part of why i like zombies so much is they're such a flexible creature you can tell all kinds of different stories with them you can sort of explore different aspects of humanity explore different aspects of the horror genre and they're just darn cool yeah they really are they're a great creature so thanks for letting me come on and, and share my interest in zombies with you i'm just sitting here trying to think how you would do the zombie illness as a game mechanic because because it sounds unfun, and I'm like, is there a way you could gamify it and make it interesting? Well, and know, I'm trying to think. Like the um, the two the two games that I've used, th- I can think of that have a mechanism like that. Alien, the legendary Alien game. If you got a face, oh, that one's so cool. Yeah, if you got a face hugger on you, it would go in your deck, and then some point later, you would draw the chestburster card, and your character would die. And, the ch- and so you could do a similar thing where you acquire the zombie infection and maybe every time you draw an infection card you have to put another one in your deck and if you ever have three in your hand at once then you die or something that would be an interesting way to have it sort of slowly accumulate 
Especially if there's a, a hand limit, it also limits your ability to do things because you're getting weak and infected. Right. Yeah. I should use that at some point. You're welcome. <laughs> well, there you go, kids. Uh, a good intellectual conversation on zombies with an actual professor. Prof- can, can we call you a professor of zombology? <laughs> sure. I feel All like right. that's a legit statement. A zombologist? Mm-hmm. Officially, I'm an associate professor of English, but I'll take professor of zombology. I like it. <laughs> Nobody speaks English anymore anyway. <laughs> oh, that's right. That was the Zinger kids. No, no, Jonathan. See, Zingers have to be funny. <laughs> and not startlingly real. Oh, no. Oh, no. We, we, we could get into this, in, into language, and it changes over time and blah, 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 blah. But yeah, we're talking zombies here. Mm-hmm. We're talking zombies. Yeah. But no, we all speak English, sir, and English is just fine. We're going to agree to disagree. Positive podcast, buddy. Positive, Positive podcast. podcast? Okay. <laughs> well, they, they go speak in the Queen's English like Shakespeare, because if language never changes, that's how you should be talking. Mic drop. <laughs> I mean, I'm not opposed. I'm not opposed. Well, that, of course, does bring us to the end of our discussion on zombies, which means, sadly, that we are at the end of yet another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast, bringing to, bringing to close number 56. Go shower with a friend. Go shower with a friend. Huzzah. Yeah, shower with a friend day. Brendan, as, as opposed to which friend you'll be showering with, tell us how we keep in touch with your exploits. Tell us, your do, do you use Twitter? Are you a Facebook person? How do we know what's up with you? Well, if uh, people want to reach out to me as a fellow fan of the Forgot My Dice podcast, the easiest way to find me is on Facebook as part of the Forgot My Dice podcast fans community area. As Jonathan's mentioned, I also have a podcast myself called Pick Up and Deliver. We host that. Which comes with the Forgot My Dice stamp of approval. Ooh, huzzah. I'm going to start putting that in. There you go. I am a listener. I love it. We host that over at rattleboxgames.com, which is the... A company my game design partner Rob and I use to host all of our game-related shenanigans. Uh, And you can find links there to our feed on whatever uh, podcast-catching device you use. Or I'm on BoardGameGeek with the username Wombat929. That's another way to find me pretty easily. Fantastic. And if we want to learn more about Rattlebox games and when your next... Uh, when your next product is coming out, how do we do that? Uh, well, our website is rattleboxgames.com. And I would say keep listening here because I am going to bug you to say something about it when we're coming out with our next game. And we will say many things about it, I'm sure. Huzzah. All right. Well, Robert, as usual, I'd like to remind everybody, hit up all those digital domains. Come and talk to us. Uh, this, uh, this is infinitely more fun when you torture us with comments and insight, uh, insightful questions. Plus, given tonight's uh, discussion, I would love to see what other people are interested in in terms of uh, zombie movies, zombie video games, and most importantly, zombie board games and RPGs. Well, once again, that brings us to the end of another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast, which means there's only one thing, Robert, after I say thank you to Brendan for joining us once more. And thank you guys for having me. It was a delight. Anytime. It was always always good. To, you're always welcome. Come back. Come back. I'll, I'll apologize. You are, you are not seeing us at our best. Yeah, no. We are a hot, uh, drugged up mess today. It is, oh, yeah. uh, it is chaos on the airwaves. Hopefully the edit cleans it up. Because I have been all over the place. We can Yay, decongestants. Robert. Robert, any final thoughts? You know, I had some, but they're gone. 
I'm just a, uh, I'm just filled with goo and crust. My beard is just horrifying right now. It's awful. I'm gonna go take an ibuprofen and go to bed, sir. There you go. Robert, feel better. Brendan, thank you as always. And we uh, only have one thing left. Robert, Brendan, party on. Party on. Party on, Jonathan. The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elifiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you. 